Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, that this show is also a game where points are rewarded for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. The winner will be my best friend for a week and have gloating rights. Also, I realized for weeks now I've said I will give points for cogent thoughts, implying that how rare it is. To have a cogent thought about any movie. <laughs> Which I, you know what, I disagree with. I think all of our panelists are great, except for one of them. Introducing our panelists now is me, your host, Mike Gravano. Ah, uh, the I'm introduction introduction. <laughs> yes. Greg. Thank you for not interrupting the introduction. Introduction. And also my best friend from last week for absolutely decimating the competition. It's me, Greg. Hello, everybody. And I did. I won by quite a lot. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And I'm hoping to continue that performance. Perhaps maybe even bigger margin of victory. I don't know. 54. Maybe I could do 55, 56. Who knows? Listeners, uh, this is a bit so wonderful that it's crossed from our text feed into the Patreon. And now it's on the real show. <laughs> Everyone loves it. Greg, when... Uh, did you notice that, like... Or That's Ryan, by the way. Do you, do you notice that when Mike typically starts the show, um, he sounds like if I was in a ska band from the early 2000s? Just, welcome! <laughs> and then it, it dies out, it dies out from there, but... Welcome to the show! It is weird to start every show with, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! <laughs> and you guys always edit that out. Yeah. But I that's part of my catchphrase. <laughs> we don't edit. <laughs> the, no. The board has hired people no. to edit. I believe editing I said, the show is an insult to our fans. <laughs> <laughs> I said you guys looked in the booth. We have a, a panel of 10 engineers yeah. who the ten are engineers. working hard. <laughs> Wrenches, the 10 engineers. Hammers. Ryan. Do you, do, should, should we call like a close to that? Should we put that in the graveyard? I just It's up, I, it's up to you guys. I'm down to keep it. But you're tr- so like trying to make a point so hard and you say something that can slightly portmanteau barely and then you're interrupted in a fight to get to, for somebody else to make that portmanteau <laughs> tension ears mike Perfect. what you said sounds like do do we want to kill that forever just shoot it in the face with a shotgun no ryan i think it's perfect <laughs> so do you you said it, you took the words right out of my mouth i would like other people to cease doing it to make more room for me to do it yes i also have another question is Droppad becoming like chat GPT and is now creating conversations that I'm not even having, but people are going to think that I'm having. I did not say perfect there. Yeah. This is chat. G- <laughs> Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Thank you, Greg, for agreeing with me. We are, we are slowly being replaced by the sound of our own voices. This crowd is super into the thought of robots taking over. Well, all right, gentlemen, tonight. Put your hands together. We are here to talk about a very special movie. Paul Thomas Anderson's 2002's Punch, Drunk Love. What was your relationship with the film before this week, Greg? I saw it when it first came out, and I I think I liked it quite a bit. I think I was uh, really into it, and um, I think that it... There's like just enough in there to like get and to feel good about understanding, um, and so I only saw it maybe a couple times, like right around when it came out in 2002, and then always sort of reflected on it fondly. But I had not seen it for 
I want to say 20 years uh, when, until I watched it a couple times this week. Ryan? Yeah, I don't think that I've seen this since theaters or maybe like when it was first released on home video. And I distinctly remember my issues with it back then. Um, I am a huge Magnolia fan. You know, obviously Boogie Nights and was crazy for me based on, you know, when I was born. And uh, I do think that this has, if I may, Mike, steal one of your most famous theories, is that this is PTA's Green Album of Magnolia was not as critically successful or commercially successful. Mm. And I think that he sort of said, well, what if this was smaller and to me kind of dumber? I, I, a lot of my issues with it back then I had this time around. And I think that it's, it is my... I've been listening to the stock rise and rise and rise for this movie for the last 20 years. And I, after watching it this week, I, I think that it is my least favorite PTA. And I think that there's a ton of incredible elements. But I also think that there's a ton of stuff that just doesn't gel in the end. I think there's a, a lot of tools in this particular tool belt that like are unnecessary and just don't work to me. It, to me, it kind of feels like it was made for first-year film students. Mm-hmm. Or like... Right. This bright, is PTA for dummies. Bright high school kids who want to go to film school. like, And I think that's why I liked it. Like, that, That's probably the thing that made you not like it that much in 2002 and made me like it. Because I enjoyed the experience of going and sitting down and being like, ah, imagery. But what does it mean? And then being like, actually... <laughs> It kind of seems pretty clear that it means this. I mean, like, yeah. Fuck, I did that, dude. Yeah. I did that work, you know? And I do think that's awesome. And I don't, like, there's so many other movies, you know? that Like, this is not Shawshank Redemption. This is not uh, Baby's first serious movie. This I don't is think, not Boss Baby. This is not Boss Baby. Your <laughs> boss's first serious baby movie. I, I just think that there's a, there's a couple of things where I think that he is a little reticent because of Magnolia to, like, mm. to really go off and do what he wants. And then... What five years later, um, is his next movie, and then it's he's off on a roll. Like this, he becomes the PTA we know today. Starting with There Will Be Blood, and starts being real. Um, that like, do you at all think that uh, in in like relation to Magnolia, that he did the crazy Magnolia thing at the beginning of the movie instead of the end? That way, people wouldn't be like, I got all the way to the end, and then the weird thing happened. In this one, he's like. I'm going to put the weird thing as the very first thing you see <laughs> instead of the very last thing you see. Which is that Adam Sandler's in the movie? <laughs> yeah. Just the, like, what? The, in a suit? The out of nowhere car The car accident, crash, yeah. And then the harmo- harmonium being like dropped out of a taxi cab and then like glowing. Like the, it's kind of like a magical item or whatever. But, but which Emily Watson also might have put there. Did you guys catch that? Is there the implication that she did it? She just she knows the whole story, and she's like, "Did you you pick that up off the street, right? One morning you thought nobody well, saw well, you because she had to drive past she it in her fly Geo Metro, and that's why he's like, oh, no, Tallyhoo, Sabado.' <laughs> but that would be right. an explanation. But it, that could not fit in a Geo Metro. No, it's a taxi, like <laughs> no, it's, or it's a van. A taxi, a taxi pulls up, and I guess you could like examine the arms that drop it and to see if those arms I'll match do up. It. To yeah, any other character. An also, if this is important for the rest of the show. Emily Watson, Emma Watson. Two different actresses. Two different actresses from two different times. And two different y- Englands. But the same accent. Yeah. But the same person. Hello there. I'm E. Watson. We were both in the bling ring, governor. <laughs> Let's take a break <laughs> so Greg can get that out of his system. And then 
when we come back dive into punch drunk love after back-to-back wins of boogie nights and magnolia pta released a 95 minute i think you should leave sketch called punch drunk love (laughs) a rom-com that starts like a short story where lonely and timid barry egan's life was mundane and predictable until three unexpected events occurred in rapid succession showcasing adam sailor in a way no one had before the movie follows sandler's barry egan as he collects putting to win frequent flyer miles tries to avoid his sisters punches mirrors gets blackmailed and falls in love the movie bombed upon release but has risen in critical acclaim over the last 20 years taste buds i ask you this when anderson announced sandler would start his next movie after magnolia the world was shocked roger ebert said that punch drunk love will make you rethink adam sandler's entire career all of which Ebert hated to that point. At the same time, <laughs> many consider this to be lesser PTA. Looking back on the film now, is it stunt casting gone wrong, or are the two doing something more with this? I, do, I don't think it's stunt casting gone wrong. Is it yeah, st- I don't think it went wrong. Is it stunt casting? That's an interesting question, especially like then. Because, look, the movie got more eyes on it because they cast happy fucking Gilmore yeah, in like, a lead role. Like, it was a news item before they started principal photography on the film. Yeah. Like, people were already talking about it. Funny people was not as big of a deal. Sorry, Judd Apatow, because Punch Drunk Love had already come out. Um, are the two of them doing something, like, more? I do think so, but I wouldn't go all the way to say, like, Kubrick, Cruz, Kidman, Eyes Wide Shut, where Kubrick is casting Cruz as, like, no, buddy, come on, because you're the biggest star. But really, he's just making fun of him the yeah. whole time. I don't think there's anything that fourth wall breaking. I do think, though, that PTA is watching Happy Gilmore and, God forbid, going overboard and saying, I can cha- I, I can point this energy in the right direction. He's the first person in the history of movies to say, Ryan. what if rage isn't funny? What if rage is pretty damn scary? <laughs> I'll yeah, use that. I mean, kinda, yeah. <laughs> One interesting thing he does is he hires... Adam Sandler, which it's hard, I think, to connect now, even for us that experienced it in real time, how out of left field that felt. Because right. now... Because you're fucking have, your career, dude. Yeah. And and now, you know, we have Uncut Gems. We have um, even The Wedding Singer. Like, uh, we have Grown Ups and Grown Ups too. No, but we have Adam Sandler in these serious roles. And so it's easy to forget that this was the first one. And so it felt very unusual. And the other thing is... He's hiring Adam Sandler to play Adam Sandler, which sounds like an easy thing to do. That sounds like, oh, yeah, then he's not really acting at all, except it's impossible to play yourself in a movie. It is so hard to actually be yourself and then to imbue that with realism. But the quiet until he is a tornado of violence. Nirvana song. He's playing a Nirvana song. That's Adam Sandler. I mean, that that is like and you like. And so I think that. It's a very effective piece of casting, even though it's hard to actually be yourself in the way that he. But is. I don't think he's. Do you? I mean, this is what you get from actual Adam Sandler. What I see is like. Um, this is young Adam Sandler. This is Barry Egan is exactly what Adam Sandler was like when he was thirteen or fourteen, I think. Oh, okay, but once Adam Sandler had already been famous, but I see this as like a uh, like all of his characters sort of put into a blender and then through a filter, and like I'm gonna pick out what I think is interesting about these. Definitely leave aside what I think is not interesting, which. Looking back, it's kind of a lot, and saying, like, not just I'm going to, like, not play this up for Looney Tunes laughs, but also I'm going to keep the camera rolling on the faces of the people around him, you know? Like, right. Happy Gilmore never has the restaurant owner come up and say, uh, did you just did you fuck up my bathroom? Did you just uh-huh. fuck up my bathroom? So that's what this 
if we're going to say this is an Adam Sandler vehicle, that's what this uh, person has to deal with. And now we're in a completely different territory, watching a completely different movie. And I, I think it is not stunt casting because PTA wrote this for Adam Sandler. It was never a who could be Barry Egan. He wrote it with Sandler in mind. And he said, based on one sketch on SNL where Adam Sandler is playing like a radio DJ and his girlfriend's dad calls in and is a dick and Sandler freaks out and starts screaming at him. And he was like that. His eyes went black. I want to put that in a movie. I mean, it, it's very much like Adam Sandler characters. It, it really is like the, you know, I'm going to be kind of bumbling and simple and quiet and even sweet seeming until mm-hmm. I'm just absolutely raving. I just think Barry Egan is, like, if you see Adam Sandler in, like, interviews and stuff, it's not the performative Adam Sandler that we get in a lot of what he does. It's He's a very quiet, reserved person who obviously, because all of his comedy engages with rage, right. obviously knows the warp and weave of real rage. Right. And the fact that it often does not start hot. It starts off very cold. And that you don't see the, like, welling up of it until it actually starts pouring out of somebody and that's the, that sorry mike you go that's sort of why i am so much hotter on the first half than the back half is because that that violent rage is just a part like we just came to assume like oh uh this guy's adopting a kid uh, uh frankenstein casanova or whatever the kid's name is going to be <laughs> scuba steve uh he's also going to kick the living shit out of like eight people in this movie like yeah, we just knew right. that was part of it and the first half of this movie is, uh, like, this is a really hard thing for these people to go through. Like, characters like this with these rage mm-hmm. issues, the embarrassment that comes with that, the anxiety. That's what I want to hit on. And then the second right. half says, no, but it's pretty dope. Get that fucking pipe out and, you know, uh, get revenge on the people. And that's when I sort of lost the whole magic trick of casting Adam Sandler in this movie. Yeah, I think it's because the the... He finds, like, I guess a channel for that rage, but it, like... Which is love. Which is love. Uh, and I guess that's interesting in a way, but it, it seems like... I don't know. Is this movie trying to be... It's like a fairy tale, right? I mean, it's kind of like... I'm sure... I, I bet you if we rewatched it again, we could pick point, like, the most interesting part where reality stops... You know, and like I feel like reality stops right at the very, very beginning of the movie. Like I think I feel like the very first thing that happens is he's like, okay, now we're going into a realm of not magical realism in the same way that like frogs raining feels like magical realism, but still kind of right because that harmonium actually glows. Like, mm-hmm. like they the, he uses a lot of effects on it to make it look like it's like I don't know an enchanted item or something like that. I, I think what it is is because this is any two things he explicitly wanted this to be was Adam Sandler being the star of it, and this is his version of a romantic comedy. Whose? Sandler or PTA? PTA. Because PTA wrote it. So PTA was like, I want to make my rom com. Uh-huh. And that makes me very afraid for anybody who's ever been dating PTA. Yeah, but. But it's. I think he's fucking with the genre, and all rom coms are just fantasies. I think Mindy Kaling wrote an essay about that. Like, they are. Just as much as uh, Rain of Fire, are like a version of sci-fi, she says. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and this and so I think this is just making that even more explicit. What was that episode of Star Trek then when he fucked that alien? Like, is that uh, like half of them? <laughs> <laughs> That's most most of the episodes right. of Star Trek are somebody fucking an alien. 
Deep Space Nine got into what it's like to be like a, a non-Klingon having sex with a Klingon, and apparently it's oh. very violent. I re- yeah. I remember this sneaking sensation to watching this when it first came out of like, did you include that because Adam Sandler's in the movie? Like, do you guys remember back in the day when there was uh, like stand-up comedians would be in starring like starring in movies, and like Billy Crystal would in the middle of city slickers break out on here's the difference between women and yes. men. And you yeah. were just like, okay, you, you good job getting that into the script, bro. <laughs> and so there was a couple things like, um, sort of like the smashing of the windows at the family party, the screaming, the screaming. Yeah. Like, and then I, I just thought, you know what? You need shit for your fucking trailer to say Adam Sandler, not just Adam Sandler's in this, but the Adam Sandler that you all know and love is in this watching it this time. I, it was much more organic to me. Yes, but uh, I, I I do I do think that you can see the director having an effect on the actor and the actor having an effect on the director, and that to me that's perfect, right? Like that's what right. we want is we're all making this movie here. And I think that the smashingness, the smashy smashy of it all, I think works so well because of the the cold to hot. You don't see him rage up, even in his family who tells stories about how he once took a hammer and broke mirrors and windows. And they apparently that's the only story they fucking tell. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> cool. They are awful. Uh, that even they are surprised because he is so, so timid that they forget about the volcanic rage that's in him, that he will go and break every window he sees if you Did, say the wrong there's, thing there's a moment. times. There's a moment, though, dude, where like all of a sudden you go from this is uh, – Robbie from Wedding Singer to like this is a movie like, or not even just this is a movie because you trust PTA to like turn it into a movie this is a performance this is an incredible performance and I think every time I've seen it it's the same moment and it's when fucking Triumph the insult comic dog <laughs> Robert Schmeigel pulls Adam Sandler aside and says like are you okay and he's like yeah yeah I'm okay tears crying right, and yeah. like that is so natural uh, you would think that uh, I, I don't mean to shit on comedians but you would think that a comedian would be so nervous about being comic that they would underplay it or because of their natural whiz bangingness they would overplay it. And it's, yeah. <laughs> a boo-hoo, a boo-hoo. It reminds me of, um, what was that movie with Carrie Mulligan? Pretty Young Woman? Oh, the From a couple years ago? rape revenge movie? Yeah, where all the nice guys, all the nice guy rapists were well-known like comic actors. Uh-huh. And the ones who did it well just bought in. Uh-huh. They were not trying to hedge their bets and be like, but this isn't me. I'm a goofy-ass character right now. Right. You do that on the talk show circuit later, but not right. on the set. Uh, and he does that, where he fully... He... It feels so real, and who knows what Adam Sandler actually feels like, but when right before he bursts into tears and the dentist who he asks for psychotherapy help from... <laughs> Uh, says, "Are you okay?" And he go, or he goes, "I don't know. Cause I don't know how other people are. Right. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if I'm normal." And it's just like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah. But have you ever known somebody like this that had that experienced rage this way, where they were quiet and very reserved and basically like kind of a pushover most of the time, and then they would get to a point where it was just like someone had gone too far, and there's no indication. Like when you mm-hmm. y- when you know people like this, you can like read their facial expressions. I had a friend who was very much like the character from this movie, and. I could, if I really looked at him, I could see it building in him, and I could see when the dam was going to break. And I, when you look at Adam Sandler, you can see it build and build and build right before it's about to break. And I think he brings a ton of truth to that, whether it's his experience, which to me it feels like. It feels like it's PTA's experience and that he could see that it was also Adam Sandler's experience right. and that he thought, between the two of us, I can craft this into a real thing. And... I don't know. That's that's what it's like to have somebody who just like 
will take shit and take shit and take shit and then suddenly is violently like mm-hmm. and, in, in a tornadic way angry. Blackout isn't the right word, but there is it's some sort of <laughs> disconnection. Yeah. There is some sort of like I'm uh, I'm going to allow uh, Banner to go away now. You know, and right. it is it is scary because like their eyes aren't the same. Yeah, yeah. And then also kind of equally scary is right. when they come back to Earth, they're again a completely different person. So it's like they're not like the 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 person that destroys the bathroom is kind of a different entity than the Barry Egan you get most of the time. Right. And he is sorry for his actions and he wishes he could not do that. Uh, and I think the movie is just about like no no man you have to channel that in the right direction uh that he breaks the bathroom and what does he want to do he wants to bury it like oh. all of the other parts of his life he wants to bury it and you again. know what? he wants Egan. to bury it again <laughs> right <laughs> movies are easy guys <laughs> just fucking watch them but so yeah this is like th- he this is a movie just which very much like it. i want this to be a text that is open to more people than most like i i don't want it to be a dumb movie but I only want it to be a little bit smart so that most people can come in and have the feeling of kind of putting together the pieces of something. Because, like, I mean, if we're being honest, like, I think that this is so much more important for people like this to watch than, say, like, an after-school special or a very right. clear message movie of, I don't need to be told how I'm acting wrong. I need someone to relate to. I need to right. feel like there's someone else in the world like me. And so and and I don't want PTA to shut those people out because of his very cinematic doors when it's not kind of and and very three hour long movies when it's not condescending oh, 90 the minutes, message guys. can hit yeah exactly Love 90 minutes and that, that was also a direct response to magnolia putting your weezer theory in light of like oh you guys say my shit's too long here here you go 95 minutes you want out, did he rom-com. also slip in a couple of like false endings i feel like there's two shots towards the end of the movie that really read as concluding shots. One is when he's walking down the like the gangway to the plane. Oh yeah, uh, and it kind of like fades out. And then the other one is when the two of them are walking. Oh, where Iris is in and on their hands. And then Iris yeah. is in on their hands. Yeah. And it's almost like he's like, "No, nah, I'm not going to give you a 70 minute movie." But this is where it would have ended if I had wanted to do that. And then when Barry, <laughs> but imagine Egan, if I had. <laughs> when Barry Egan finally goes back to the Shire, and then they all have a party. Like, when is this going to end? Just end. Right. All right, well, we are going to just end this segment right now. And when we come back, after the quickest of breaks, build a little mountain. Mount Rushmore! That sound, of course, means we took our PJ right over to North Dakota to visit Mount Rushmore. But not the one of the shitty presidents, no. We're building a new one tonight. Everybody's favorite night at Movie of the Year it's Hot Girls 2002. Oh, my God. Like yeah, what that are we was, doing here? I don't think you have to do Next that, Next on stage, no. Mount wow. Rushmore. No, Greg, have you ever uh, the energy. imagined if Maxim Magazine could talk? <laughs> That's what Mike sounds like. Right. <laughs> uh, very, very hair gel energy, Mike. I also have a question Ooh. for you guys, and I will not accept whatever answer you have, but I just want to ask it. Um... Usually we do Hot Boys first yeah. to like give us the runway for this, but I was not there for Hot Boys, so am I allowed to do this? Uh, I, if you feel spiritually cleansed enough. Oh, that's so much worse you, than a no. Do you want to drool over some Hot Boys before you dive into some Hot Girls? Yeah. Who, who made the mountain Tell- last week? 
Oh, Last week. All the classics from two thousand and two. Uh Tom Cruise. <laughs> Classic. Parts part part of there it. Was that if was, Greg Vamp, so I can grab that I, list. That was a good I one. think we're fine. I feel okay. I, I'm spiritually cleansed. Yeah. Toby Maguire didn't make it. Didn't make it. We're Milo Vigamagilia didn't make it. Not there. Uh, he's Italian, Mike. Orlando wanna... Bloom, I think he made it. Make my penis Who? bloom. Orlando Bloom. Yes. Legoless. He was the first to make it. Did we? Did you guys talk about the fact that, like, all right, we had this baby. It's going to be a hot boy. Gonna, everyone's going to love him. Let's name him after the fucking classiest, best city in all of the world. I assume that's where he was conceived. <laughs> Coming from a somebody with a sister almost named Yosemite. <laughs> Yosemite. Wow. Yosemite. Very glad. Yosemite doggy style. <laughs> we don't talk about why the middle name. Uh, no, babies can't be made that way, I've been told. Maxim Magazine <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> well, I don't fuck dogs, Greg. Okay, Maxim, I don't can know, we get Mike back? I don't know about bragging about that on air, Mike. I mean, good for you, I guess. How about just Mikesum? Uh, Your name is Mikesum. Cincinnati 9s. LA3s. This is just the mood I'm going to be in all of this segment. Awful. Simply awful. Greg. Yes, it is. Ryan. Yeah. Who is your first submission to the mountain? Toby McGuire didn't make it, but can Mary Jane Watson yeah, please? Number one with a bullet. Um, I To see MJ on the screen and to have her be played by Kirsten Dunst, um, what a thrill. It's still a thrill. Um. Dunstan checks in. <laughs> I mean, what better what? thing to say than that? <laughs> but yeah, she's playing Mary Jane, America's girlfriend. Like, uh, I don't think yeah. if you are even comic adjacent as a young man, you like dream of Mary Jane. And then Kirsten Dunst, just at that the height of her powers, very effective performance. I felt like watching that movie, we were all tigers and we had hit the jackpot. <laughs> a big Ryan. time. Made upside down kissing a big thing for a while, uh, which was know. then featured in the OC. <laughs> we all almost drowned. We all just self waterboarded trying to kiss upside down. <laughs> all right, MJ Watson, right to the tippy top of that mountain. And I do want to point out that MJ Watson is a different actor than Emily and Emma Watson. Just want to—it's elementary for us to keep all of those separate. Uh, elementary, my dear. I got it. Right. This guy, his fucking brain. Got to keep up somehow. Greg. If we were doing this list this year, this could also be a potential name. But Beyonce in 2002 was every bit as beautiful and magical as she is now. Hey, Greg, name one thing you remember from the movie Austin Powers, Gold Member. Beyonce, It's Beyonce. It's literally <laughs> the only answer. No, it's he eats his own skin and makes me vomit every time I think about it. <laughs> okay, there's two things. Hold on. Uh, but more than anything else, just the fact that you could put her on the list today or you could put her on the list 20 years ago. Listeners, if you were alive and an adult 20 years ago, look at a picture of yourself. Look how you've died. Like, basically, you are the corpse of that version of yourself. <laughs> Beyonce looks as good as she's ever looked. Meanwhile, you have absolutely fallen to tatters. Does... Sometimes Greg talks like he's been approached by the beehive and like say, you better ship into shape. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd consider her American royalty. Some people are into the English royals. I'm not. They're not Boo. attractive. But <laughs> American royalty, very attractive. It's Beyonce. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Your support really matters. I mean, I know we're Fuck you. kind of... So- oh, Ooh, mercy. Beyonce Greg. in her Austin Powers in gold member costume is on this mountain. Terrific. Perfect. Ryan? Yes. Mike, you know me when it comes to these Rushmores. I want to be as 2002 as possible, right? I don't yes. want it to be like, well, could she have been on 2005? Beyonce could have been on 2023, as Greg kept saying, but we're going to put her on 2002. I feel like... Yeah. You think if you go back to 2002 and you're like, Beyonce is one of the hottest women around. People are going to be like, not yet, man. Wait 20 years, I maybe. Think, I think they would say that <laughs> word for word every person that I ask. That's a weird reaction. <laughs> All at the same time. And I'd be like, all right, guys, back to my time machine. Uh, Am I really using this the best possible? (laughs) (laughs) But there's an episode of this podcast so far that I think made it clear who belongs on this list. And that's Nani, Lilo's older sister from Lilo and Stitch. This was my surprise pick. (laughs) Oh, man, we're a weird (laughs) podcast that we both. Ryan, look. It says She's a Beyonce on my list, actually. You know uh, what? It, I th- guess it's unanimous. A thick island goddess doing the best that she can. She's trying to make some sense of this world. Lying to the police. Trying to take care of her little sister who's so mischievous and in league with like an evil alien. An uh, older sister that's basically a single mom. Not that that's the hot part. But uh, playing, <laughs> this, playing this smoking hot surf boy hot and cold the entire movie. Yes. And... Uh, maybe most importantly, she... Greatest! <laughs> uh, well, we have to remember, 2002 was not like the most curvaceous time, or like our beauty right. standards oh. were not the most curvaceous. Uh, Nani actually has a little bit of a belly, mm-hmm. which like the connoisseurs out there enjoy, you know, a little a little thickness, and so I think that's good for her. You know what's stupid is, <laughs> not that both me and Greg had it, that we both thought, I'd be the only one to pick yeah, this. Yeah, dude. I was like, seriously, I was like, and then I'll have this. And then everyone will be like, ah, oh, Greg, what a creative answer. <laughs> You're always thinking outside the box. Well, we have three immediates on the mountains, which is almost unprecedented. So <laughs> let's get some maybes on this pile, Greg. Uh, this was right in the, the, the great era of Cameron Diaz. Um, doing a pitch perfect irish brogue in gangs <laughs> of new york uh but just so transcendently beautiful and uh oh like i, I has like girlfriend energy like just always seems so cool and uh interesting and like she sh- wants to eat a bunch of tacos but she's still hot yeah exactly and then yeah go play go play 18 holes of golf and then she still wants to watch wrestling at the end of the day she'd be like oh you subscribe a- to maxim magazine me too Damn. And FHM. Guess we'll compare subscriptions. <laughs> hey, look at this water gun. Squirt, squirt, squirt. Oh, we're painting the wall. We're painting the wall. I painted your face. Uh, oh, now we're wrestling. <laughs> Ryan, who do you put on the baby pile? Because they're not hot enough. Again, <laughs> Again, take that camera, Diaz. Uh, 2002 uh, is w- is a year where one person sparkled and shined and then just sort of went away. It's Shannon Sossaman, who... Oh shit! Just so emblematic of that time to me. And who was she? Uh, she was Forty Days and Forty Nights, The Rules of Attraction, uh, A Knight's Tale. A okay. Knight's Tale. And then oh. Wicker Park. Wicker Park. 
Mike hung out with her Gosh, one time. Hartnett. Did she her, did she I, flirt with Mike? Probably. Of course. Hey, all the brunette of ladies course. from 2000s like to flirt with Mike. What what was in 2002 Sauce Manager? This is just general the era of Sauce. 2002 was 40 Days 40 Nights and Rules of Attraction. 2001 gotcha. was A Knight's Tale. Gotcha. Yeah, and you got you got to give a little deference to 2001 because we're still like reeling from what happened in 2001, right. which was a nice yeah, tale. Yeah, a nice <laughs> tale. <laughs> Wait, forget. what if medieval times did sing Queen? <laughs> Man, yeah, I recently watched that the... movie. Does not hold up. It doesn't. Is that because you even hate though Heath Ledger? It, I I hate Heath Ledger, but it is the first movie and only movie brave enough to say, "What if a hot guy had two ginger best friends?" <laughs> Also, That's Heath Ledger, A Knight's Tale, The Dark Knight. Like, what's going Interesting. on, bud? Interesting. Bears looking into, I think. Not for us. Uh, our team team. <laughs> <laughs> you guys get on the horn. The team team on the scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, Greg, maybe Pyle. Um, in the movie Attack of the Clones does not have many good elements, but Natalie Portman is very attractive. What about her stunt double? And her stunt double, Kira, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. <laughs> a Knight's Tale, The Dark Knight, Kira Knightley. What's going on? Teen Team, get on this. Right. Teen Team, finish handing out the pop filter stickers. Get off and get those on this. iPads and start doing some of your research, Teen Team. Jesus. Teen Team, you need to turn in your receipts at the end of the week, though. We've been on this. Please do all this fun stuff we're talking about, but you, this matters. They, turn in the expense. They keep place. asking me, do pictures of receipts taken from their iPads count? Oh, my yes. gosh. Stop TikToking for 10 seconds, Teen Team. Damn it. <laughs> Fucking Teen Team. All right. Do we have enough maybe piles or we want no, to do my two more No, I have so many more. Dude, we could just all right. go all night. Dude, but do, do, You're do looking at two and... experts here. All right. My, I, I, you guys were, what, 20 in 2002? Yo, that's the other thing. Just, uh, Disclaimer. Was hot. I was born in 2003. We, kind, were, we were young men at this time. So that's why we have such strident opinions about <laughs> about this. Not as, that we're perverts. As gross you guys old were... dusty men, we don't. Yeah, you know, obviously we don't care anymore because. No, but you're you're channeling yourselves when you're just like prime and ripe for it. Oh man. Yeah. You <laughs> I, you talking about us is way more perverted than us talking about movie characters. <laughs> we we might have lost it a little bit when we were talking about Nani from Lilo. And Stitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that's she's a cartoon. You can say whatever you want. I think we were that's twenty cool four, which me. makes it fine to jerk off to it. While watching Lilo and Stitch, <laughs> like, but only in the naughty scenes. I had two words for you: uh, Buffy, Daphne, the two hottest fictional characters of all time. Surely, no one actress is hot enough to play both of those in the same year. Uh, correction: It did happen. Her name is SMG. Sarah Michelle Geller. I've had a crush on her so much in my life that I feel like I can't watch a. Sarah Michelle Geller vehicle in front of my wife because I would look like have you ever been at a party where like I've fucked two people here and like then you just have to like slowly melt down that's what it would feel like <laughs> Greg Jennifer Garner Jennifer Garner <laughs> what was she doing in 02 I don't know Mike. it's stop, alias stop hitting me with all this oh. stuff <laughs> I, I just I just don't know she's just an attractive lady from 2002 but yeah that, these are the alias years these are the alias years Ryan, uh, w this is probably you. Sh you, pr you should probably kick off somebody from the actual mountain because uh, the hottest girl of all time probably had her hottest year in 2002, and that is Jessica Alba. It's, oh yeah, dude. It's hard to describe what people were going through when Jessica Alba was popular at this time. So I'm not even gonna try. 
One thing I have to say about Jessica Alba is I always felt like she was really reluctantly like a sex symbol. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. I hate that. (laughs) Oh, ew. (laughs) 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 That freaked me out. (laughs) But, yeah, because, like, you uh, Because you, like, it felt like she was, like, in a way, like, uh, not an active participant. And so that made it feel bad sometimes. Yeah, but do you guys remember, like, we would write songs to her? Like, we would sing, All by your crying shoulder at that time? I do remember that. I do remember that. Uh, this was Dark Angel. Right. Dark she Angel, is in yeah. Leather, and she's a badass. I fucking love that show. A show canceled because it was too expensive. That's the show that taught me that could happen. <laughs> Owned that on DVD. Still, I, I still love the way you brag about this shit. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, I've, I, there, I think there's one each. more. Okay. Greg uh, and then Ryan. Alicia Cuthbert. Uh, who would go on to be in Happy Endings, but was in uh, 24. And again, I was young at this time. So she was obviously, she was playing a young woman, but I was also younger. Um, But she was so, she was very attractive when I was a young man watching 24. And then uh, she is absolutely adorable as Alex from Happy Endings. She loves ribs, Greg. Dave. I always like it. Uh, I always feel like a lot of like uh, identification with whoever like the dumb characters are on shows. Cause that's how I feel most of the time. So. Well, from and now Ryan, on, if we fine. get our personalities switched and I get Greg, I'm just gonna be I'm Greg. I'm oh, Greg. Greg. <laughs> uh, I think that we have we we would be remiss, Mike. Do you want to be remiss? I would never want to be remiss. We'd be remiss if we did not bring up this actress. Um, now I don't know if 2002 was the best year uh, for her. Um, the year before, she received a legendarily large paycheck to show boobies and type on two computers at the exact same time. <gasps> yeah. Uh, the year before, she also got the shit balled out of her by Billy Bob Thornton. And then, not but two years after this, she would portray that our favorite heroine and leather Catwoman. But this was her Bond girl year. Yeah. And so Halle Berry walking out of the ocean is kind of an iconic image from this year. That is an iconic image. But because you gave other better examples. Yeah, why do I do that, dude? (laughs) I need to fight for myself more. My mom says this every day. (laughs) You have to represent (laughs) yourself better in the world, Booba. Your 2002 hot girl, Mount Rushmore, is coming to the stage. Mary Jane Watson, played by a bedraggled Kirsten Dunst in a wet shirt. Next up is Nani. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is from wrong. Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> She's not going to be the only one animated once you get a look at her. Not even. Greg, I was trying to stay uh, silent during this bit. Now you're egging him on. We're all a little afraid of what happened to her because nobody's seen her in 15 years. Shannon Sussman owned 2002. And in a maybe unprecedented replacing Beyonce in the only time that could ever work, Jessica Alba. Ryan. So do you guys want to start the Mount Rushmore or? Uh, you know what, dude? Let's do it tomorrow. Okay. We'll just do it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, let's just take the quickest of breaks and we come back. Talk about what movie? Punch Drunk Love. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything. 
you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Taste buds, let's talk about the romance. Baby. What do we make of Barry and Lena and Adam and Emily? How the hell is she interested in him, especially around the movie? Is this a weakness in the movie, or is there a point being made? Yeah, she says she saw a picture of him, and so she goes like out of her way to arrange like kind of like a meet cute, but the meet cute is, hey, could you wash my car <laughs> and make sure the mechanic gets it? And then I, especially the first time I watched the movie recently, I got very strong, like, okay, this guy's the protagonist, and this is going to be a story about him. So at some point, the movie, the universe of the movie will present him with a woman. And then, like, whether or not he deserves that, and then, like, no matter what he says, she'll find it interesting, even if it's talking about a dumb shock jock on the the radio. And then I got thinking, like, well, if you pay attention to the scene where they both express how violent they want to be towards each other, I thought, okay, is that more what it is? That they're kindred spirits? She also, like, has... She's also quiet, but has violent impulses, and she feels love and violence kind of run down the same channel, just the same way he does, and so that's why she likes him so much. Couple things. tell that from his picture. (laughs) <laughs> and and maybe that's only a half truth. Maybe also they, the the sister that she knows is always talking about his weird outbursts and stuff. Gentlemen, ladies, uh, on the first date, uh, that story that you're going to regale them about the shock jock that you heard, like you're going to be the only one laughing. Like he meant to say Confucius, but he says confuse this. Like don't tell that fucking story. Ryan, you are wrong. Every first date I've ever had, I'm like, I don't know if you know about Kevin and Bean, but this one time, Bean was like, ooh. 2023, that definitely would have been him talking to her about Joe Rogan. Oh, for sure. (laughs) It's like three hours, man. You just, you listen to one and then you just got to listen to them all. He's just so real. 2002, it would have been me talking about Joe Rogan, but like, and also there's Phil Hartman and Maura Tierney's on this shit. (laughs) There's this part where he falls through the ceiling. He's like the handyman, but like he really understands what the world is like. Uh, I'm I'm sure his career is done in a year, but the rest of them are going to go on forever. The second part, Greg, I think is super interesting, and I want to talk about PTA, and I'm going to talk about Emily Watson's character, Lena, because, you know, like, Adam and Barry is so front and center that it's almost like, you know, like... It, the, the Even if he shot off to the side, right, Ryan? Yeah, the work is done. Um, but with... I, I, I feel like with Lena, you keep wanting more and you keep uh, waiting for this other shoe to drop, or, like, is she going to get her own scene here? Mm. And the scene... We need, like, almost a Shakespearean aside where she talks to the audience about, like, what's up with her? 
Which is why, I, what I want is when I'm watching a movie, I want another TV to come out. Yes, like dude. And just, like, it's a little bit smaller. Lena Vision. <laughs> and then that's where the asides happen. Screen and screen? Uh, no. Another TV to come out. Not, he's being so clear. Not Pip. Not picture <laughs> in picture. He wants that's gonna, the screen to come out. That's going to block some of PTA's vision. Mise en sure. <laughs> I want a new TV to come out where Lena just walks over there. Um I think that the scene that really, really sells it, there's a there's a ton of little lines of like, I'm weird too, right? Yeah. I'm weird right. too. But I think the one that kills it is, you can't do that. You left me at the hospital. This is a Barry too far. And, you know, there's a reason why Barry went there or when he left the hospital. And maybe he'll explain that to Lena at some point. Maybe he won't. But I, I love that that last part was included of like, um, too much, bro. I think he, that helped it a lot. He definitely will tell her, though, right? Because part of what I think what happens in the movie is his approach to the world, his, like, bottling everything up is a form of lying. And it leads to lie after lie after lie. And what you see happen in the right. movie is that he starts actually being truthful. He's, uh, he's honest about who he is. And he tells her the whole situation with the phone sex line. So right. I think he will eventually tell her every part of it because I think part of what happens is he stands in the light of the truth of himself. And the most important reason I, th- I do think that he will tell her is uh, uh, we will get there later, let's say. Let, I, let's just, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I do think that they're going down this road of, I mean, like Adam Sandler does uh, rom-com no-no number one. Hey, just so you know, I didn't have a business trip. I followed yeah. you here. That's that's how you break up in rom-coms. And she's like, oh, my God. And I have to say, like, uh, it's hard right. to understand maybe at first why she's attracted to him. But once they get, like, locked into their relationship, he completely, like, he gets that confidence. The, he gets that first girlfriend confidence before you have a, <laughs> a girlfriend. Like, right. uh, you have zero confidence. And so you can't imagine, like, looking a woman directly in the eyes. And then after a girl says, no, actually, I fancy you as well. You can suddenly be confident, and he goes through that change, and he actually is like, not like he's smooth with her, you know, mm-hmm. and he is strong and independent and interesting. So I buy them. It didn't do the what end. I would have done, which is say, fuck you, bitch, and now I'm going to go talk to all these other women because I'm hot. I'm <laughs> hot right now. Oh, you're right. I'm a hot commodity. No, honestly, I would have been the... like, I'm gonna go look up Nani. We're like on Honolulu right now, right? I know she's around here somewhere. I know she likes to get animated. Would it, would a two dimensional character entering this movie have been weird? Honestly, no, I dude. Cool world style. Let's bring it. Cool dude. world style. Cool world style. The number one example. As far as PTA goes, like this movie didn't make me go back like Ebert told me and rethink other Adam Sandler performances, but it did make me think the romance of the world of PTA. And if you look at um, most recently uh, Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza, yeah, it's not necessarily, I hope somebody falls in love with me despite, or it's not like, I don't, I'm not, I'm hoping, it's not that I'm hoping for, that somebody falls in love with me and then just Even like. Even though I'm fucked up. Yeah. Or like, but I bet I can change how they're fucked up. It's like the way that you're fucked up to everybody else. Yes, that's that to works me. for me, right? It's, yeah, it's, right. It's, I mean, right. it's either like it's it's either boner inducing or it's not as big of a societal. It's not a big of an issue with me as it is for society. And then you can move on. And I don't think PTA is trying to make sure that or like tell stories about people that are like that deserve love. I think he feels like he deserves love. It's just that you have to keep searching for that people who will take your foibles, of which I've heard PTA has many. And be like, I'm gonna ignore that, or we're gonna talk about that later to get with the good shit. I don't think they're praising each other for the some of the wrong things that Adam Sandler does. I think it's like, look, I don't feel about that in that same way that 
this movie make you think I can see past that into the rest where for most people, rightfully so, that's a deal breaker. That's a deal breaker. I thought I thought almost exclusively about licorice pizza when this movie when I was watching this movie, but you unlocked something for me when you said Phantom Thread, because that is the movie that this is most like really, because that is the same premise, which is that there is sometimes a kernel of violence at the heart of love. And I think that's the part that about this movie that makes me feel really kind of uncomfortable is it's hard for me to open up to that message as much as the movie wants me to that that love and violence can be co-present and that you have to accept that or understand that rather than that you have to snuff out the violence but it's well, not I you need to get you it's like you should get thrown down the stairs once a month and be okay with it it's not that right yeah it's, it's very specifically I mean, not violence Phantom Thread. towards her yeah. right i mean phantom well, thread like that that's like they, I guess they willingly or they agree to sort of enter into an abusive relationship or something like that. Like that, you know, they they agree to these terms where she will make him sick and then also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's like, what he needs. He knows he's a piece of shit. Yeah, so that's it's what to he poison needs. him to be better. And I and it seems like what Barry needs is somebody to say, "I understand that sometimes." That when you like me, you want to smash my head in with a sledgehammer. That like, and that's a way you'll express it. But that it's from you, it's true. That like you have always hidden that truth from everybody, mm. and you will expose it to me. And I won't, as you said, Ryan. Like I won't accept it. I'm drawn to it. Uh, but once you open it, once you're honest about that, you're now honest about everything. Yeah. Because if you're honest, if you're not honest about that, then you're going to be honest right. about nothing, and you're going to walk around as a neurotic, anxious. Overthinking. Oh, couldn't imagine. Oof. <laughs> Doesn't that sound Any weird? Things, they sound miserable, well, man. Who like? would want to do that? Do you guys? So PTA is is oft held up as one of those. Like we think he's one of the greatest, but that it's because we are uh, three film bros, as the internet likes to call us. And we look. We love Fight Club. We don't talk about it, but we love it. Of film bros, uh, your Scorseses, uh, your Lynches, your your PT Andersons uh, are often called misogynistic, or they don't care about the life of women. How do you hold that up for PTA? Do you think there's merit in that, or do you think that's bunk? I don't. I I, I defend Scorsese on this, and I probably shouldn't. I defend. Yeah, that's horseshit. I defend uh, PTA on this, and I think that I feel much more comfortable doing that. Um, there are movies that he has made with very few women in them, right? Um, like there will be blood, but uh, with a movie like this, I think that watching. Lena Grow with a movie like Licorice Pizza with a movie like Phantom Thread. It's I think that there is a, an argument to be made that the men start off as the hero and then turn into the villain or the background character as the women come well, in. It's not, I don't even think it's hero. I think the small brains and media literacy of the modern era have switched protagonist too often conflate protagonist and hero. Uh-huh. And DDL in Phantom Thread starts out as the protagonist, and that's who we're following. And so people are like, and that means PTA thinks he is great. Yeah. Instead of, look at this tortured man. Sure. I still, with all that, I totally agree with all that. I do still think that he is the centeredness of the white male experience is probably coming from a very true place because he's a white male. Uh, But at the same time, it just feel you feel it a lot. I think I and especially in this movie, I think you feel very much that this is 
a white male vision because anyone that is not white or male um, is just seems to be viewed for at one remove or seems to be like um, uh, you know maybe not, certainly not the, the I don't think Barry's the hero but he is definitely the lens the focus and that his experiences right. are kind of like the primary experiences we have to understand the world of the movie um, right. and I I think that. There's but a weakness there. That's why I don't I think the movie works. I think the movie falls apart when he is a hero, when he is a, uh, you know, he's like on his death wish car crash yeah. revenge mission. I think well, those are the parts that don't work. I think that, and because he knew he wanted to cast Adam Sandler, so he wrote all this beforehand, but that it's Tyler Durden theory. The movie Fight Club loses the message of Fight Club because how in love Fincher is with Brad Pitt. Yeah. And I think the same thing happens here with... PTA and Adam Sandler and Barry Egan. He's just like, oh man, but I love Adam Sandler so much. Wouldn't it be fun to watch him grab a fucking tire iron and wail on these guys instead of? Yeah, that, that's not the world you, the rest of the movie has sold us up to that point. You like, I mean, one thing you definitely can't say that PTA never falls in love with the smell of his own stink, right? Like, and that's <laughs> in his best movies and his worst movies. Like, he is there. I mean, and I have to say, there's a lot of ways in which that fight scene is the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, but it's also, I think. I guess probably part of why I think it's the weakest part is that's his most like crowd pleasing thing that yeah. he's ever done in any of his movies, no, including right. the one that was set in the world of porno. The whole oeuvre, th- this scene stands out. I do believe, and I will say this, Mike. I, I'm, I feel very prepared to talk to you about you. and defend PTA movies, but like if uh, if I was sitting here with Z-Way, I would fucking cry and run out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <laughs> well, make me, please. Oh. Uh, I think I'm going to throw up just from saying that. As a white man, you think this other white man should be able to do and say whatever he wants. Interesting. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, that's the rest of the season, I'm going to try to channel Z-Way. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. But, you know, there's things that he allows in his movies. um, And since we brought up Licorice Pizza, like, can you watch Licorice Pizza without cringing over the three scenes where the the Mattress King or whatever, the, the... Another Mattress King. (laughs) The guy that does a really like uh, uh, offensive voice, and like that's left in that movie. And even if it's supposed to be a big red arrow pointing at racism, I feel like there's not an as egregious a crime here in terms of racism. But like, Mm. there's one character who's a person of color, and he's so obviously just like trying to be mini Barry Egan. Um, and what's the actor's name? Luis Guzman. Uh Luis Guzman. So the current Gomez Adams. You've got like one of. Hollywood's like at, in 2002. This guy is is uh, you know he's very uh, charismatic on the screen, and you give him almost nothing to do, and it seems like I don't know, just like it, it helps underline the centeredness of mm. Barry's he white well he's one PTA's guys, just like <clears throat> Philip Seymour Hoffman is. Yeah, but yeah. Guzman is is in all. And I guess you could maybe argue that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is not given a lot to do in this movie either. I think Guzman is just told like. Adam Sandler's going to be the star. Instead of like uh, John C. Riley, it's going to be Adam Sandler. And you're just going to have this face on the entire movie that's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just yeah, have that. I did not get that he wants to be a mini Barry because he even has when that, he we- Even fuck? when he shows up wearing a suit. Okay, that is adorable. He show- like, but the- we are so locked into Barry as a guy who wears a suit, but clearly that's like the weirdest thing that's ever happened it's to so everybody else in everybody his else. life. Yes. And so then for that right. character, his like, 
you know, his kind of second in charge to also show up in a suit the next day. I can't imagine a, a stronger I mean, indication that, like, you are somebody's Dwight Schrute than to copy <laughs> their sartorial choices right away. First of all, Mike wore a suit last week, and the two of us are in a suit now. So <laughs> we're just trying to do Thank this. You. Also, th- the suit, if we may, Mike, for one second, talk about it. Like, um, I know that uh, PTA wanted it to be blue as fuck. Yes. And blue, a very important color for this movie. Maybe it's because Barry has the blues, but like, honestly, the whole thing I thought the entire time was it's the kind of color that no matter where he is, he looks like an employee. Like, (laughs) nobody would choose, nobody would choose to wear that. Like, that's the color that, like, the hotel corporation makes you wear so you stand out from, like, the people who are wearing real suits. (laughs) <laughs> it, it's almost like they did like some post-processing on it to make it like yes. a, a really like weird blue and the weird thing about it is like though is like blue seems like an important color and so many of the good things yeah. that happen in the movie happen under the auspices of but the they're warm blue. blue and that's that it's a different blue and i guarantee you i guarantee you watching barry walk into the tunnel to go to the plane uh-huh. and how like it doesn't like he doesn't fade out it goes to black yeah that they brought out all the blues they could and like brought down i don't know how you would say that all the blacks they could like there's severe color severity in this movie severe severity severe are there severe. also are there also fake lens flares in this movie uh. i feel like there's a lot of lens flares you know 2002 2000 2001 2002 really overexposed was like the the light style like remember we did ai or this season we did minority report and the super uh, heavy whites are like a big like feature of the time, but in this movie, it felt like they not only went for lens flares, but then actually used computer like effects to create even more lens flares. I can tell you what my favorite is. Like we talked about the iris, iris and Ian on the holding hands, uh-huh. and that's like a very old school movie thing. But there's another one that's lens flare, which I guess could be a new school movie movie thing, where uh, Barry figures out the city that Philip Seymour Hoffman lives in uh-huh, and like uh-huh. hangs up the phone and there's a lens flare and he turns to the camera. He's like, what up? What up? Yeah. <laughs> he's on a right. mission now. Also, there's like the- when he is talking to, um, uh, when he's talking to, I just totally blanked on the woman's name in the movie. Lena. Lena. When he's talking to Lena, there is very intentionally like uh, a smear kind of, of like uh-huh. bluish purplish mm-hmm. light in between them that just felt like, unless it felt like they couldn't really get that. And so that I wondered if it was a computer effect. Well, the, 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 the brightness of the colors and Barry's blue suit is, it, it's not just that this is PTA's rom-com. This isn't his get over it or what's a 90s rom-com? Bring it Bring on. Woman. Bring it on. Talk to the hand. Uh, oh, no, you didn't? Specifically, Singing in the Rain, Technicolor yeah. rom Oh, this is like his height of Hollywood rom-com. And that's that's why that iris that's what the the suit of the blue is so blue. I miss Technicolor. The gray drab bullshit they make us watch these days. I miss Technicolor so much. Do you guys remember Mishima? Uh, a tale in four stories. A tale yeah. in four stories. The random parts where it would just be on a clear soundstage and how fucking beautiful yeah. that was. And then they make us watch this gray fucking drivel, day in day out. Not what we're talking about right here. I'd, I'd, it was about not Guardians uh, Shazam. I've, like the whole movie is just like it's pitch black. I don't know what's happening, but when I can see something, it's just gray drivel. Isn't it, I? I got the feeling that part of why they're doing that is because it's like easier to do special effects. Sure, just like just everything it gray. happens in the dark. Paint it gray, baby. <laughs> <sighs> I hate it. Uh, that is beyond all the time we have to talk about romance <laughs> and literally everything else may be related to romance. We're gonna take the quickest breaks and we come back. 
we are going to go to a hallowed hall in the Pop Filter Studios. Welcome to the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Taste buds, my friends, my lovers, we are here in the most hallowed hall that we have, the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Here we build full-scale replicas out of gummy bears, the people and objects and and philosophies that have made us who we are today. I love a good philosophy statue. <laughs> Stoicism. <laughs> it's that's around the corner. <laughs> and now Don't get too excited. <laughs> we will try to put more people in there. For new listeners, we each have two yes votes and it must be unanimous to get in. Therefore, nobody's leaving happy. A maximum of two yes votes. A minimum of zero. What did I say? Yes. A minimum of It's two just two I didn't give I two yeses see. last time we did this and I got some shit for it. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Vote no, twice. Man, you were a prick. <laughs> I believe the uh, word vote prick twice was thrown around. <laughs> Gregory. Yes. I uh, This Who? is a name I checked multiple times. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. Uh, this was a Tina Fey. first I scanned. Then I did control F. <laughs> um, and I did right. control F on this person's first name. And then I did control F on their last name. And then I did control F on both their names because I was so shocked by this. Uh, but I do think we've talked about him. Uh, and I'm hoping he has a chance. In D&D uh, a couple weeks ago, for fun... I did a character who was Barbarian Lawyer, uh, and it was based on an SNL character from the 1980s that I or 90s that I don't think anybody would remember, which is Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Uh, and the, what? The, I thought there was a whole original Greg character. It was not. Uh, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer is a. He'll say things like, uh, "I don't. I'm just a unfrozen caveman uh, that they found, and he got a law degree. I don't understand all these fancy lights. Your cell phones bother me, but I do know this." If someone slips and falls in front of a regional bank, they deserve a cash payout. Uh, and the, the actor that did that was Phil Hartman. Uh, Phil Hartman tragically died in, I, th- I think, 1999 or 1998. Um, and he was... A he was w- murdered. I mean, you say died, but he was murdered. Yeah, he was shot by his... Yeah, from that lady from the SNL credits. He was shot by his, his wife. Um, uh, and uh, he... But he gave life to so many characters. He was, like, the best part of SNL when he was on it. And then he really was, like, half of the good Simpsons characters for a long time. <laughs> uh, to lose Troy McClure, um, to lose Lionel, Lionel Hutz. Hutz. Like, uh, this was, these were hard things for the show. Uh, he was the best part of News Radio, a show that tried so hard to move on without him. Uh, and it felt like for a while comedy would not be able to because he was, he was taken from us way too early. And it's a shame because he should still be around. And he should still be, um, you know, this funny old guy who, who appears in everything. Uh, so Phil Hartman is my choice. He definitely 100% um, had a huge role in influencing, like, my coming to comedy, my being interested in comedy. And I still find myself referencing his characters all the time. I would like to let the audience know that I just ran seven laps around these quote-unquote hallowed halls because I think that what Greg is saying is ridiculous. And he is not, not in, in the fucking Hall of Fame. Yeah, dude, you can you can control F that shit. 
<laughs> I mean, it's hard to control F on a building full of busts. But I'll but tell you this no, We have a very new modern smart building. After control Fing a few times, I thought, well, it's not me, and it's not Ryan, but it might be our young, fresh-faced friend, mm. one Mikey G. I love news radio. It gave us Andy Dick. <laughs> I, 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 I know who Mike's is. Um, no, you don't. So we're, we might do a whole news radio clean sweep we're here. We're going news radio, news radio, yeah. news radio. And Mike, if, who mine if is. you say no to Phil Hartman, I'm going to fill your heart with bullets. So, <laughs> man. man. <laughs> that was very Paul Rudd of you. Right, man. <sighs> Ryan. Yep. Who do you submit? Well, Mike, I'll tell you. Uh, this is a person who has been brought up before, but because of. I know it's not Greg. Joe Rogan. And I know, no, that's yours that I was hinting at. <laughs> oh. Um, and I know it's, it can't be me. Uh, so it must be you. But can I, may I, may I just, uh, some of the credits? Most Please recently, do. Barry, King of the Hill, Succession. Most recently, King of the Hill? That's strong, crazy. Strong roots here, Ryan. Are they? Yeah, dude. Um, okay. Well, I've, I think I've done this speech before, but it wasn't this season, so I do think he's eligible again. Also... News radio. He played Jimmy James, News the radio. owner of the station, who would so yeah. fucking good. Sometimes the sort of the sound of music sort. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sometimes he would go down to and listen to the real deal with Bill McNeil as Phil Hartman. With Bill McNeil. Saw that glass. Um, there is another person on the cast of News Radio that Bar should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh man, you know I was thinking about a tweet the other day. Let me pitch it to you guys right now, and then I'll send it out if Lay you guys agree. We all have our different number one crushes. It might be Beyonce. It might be Salma Hayek. It might be Cameron Diaz. But everyone's number two is more a tyranny. Dude, Shut oh the yeah. fucking <laughs> fuck. Yeah, dude. I, that, tweet that shit right now. Yes. But you must have been talking about Dave Foley. Dave, I mean, Mike will say it'll be Steven Root, uh, Phil Hartman, and Joe Rogan. But I do think that Dave Foley is a member of the Kids in the Hall. Should probably be in the Hall of Fame at some Hell point. Oh, yeah, dude. The Kids in the Hall of Fame. Um Anyway, Stephen Root is. I cannot believe how there there hasn't been a year of this podcast where we do the end of the year TV brackets and some of the movie brackets, and he's not in at least one of every single bracket. Yeah. He is the most he, dependable character actor of our time. He owned HBO's Sunday Night a couple weeks. Ago. Yeah, he was just like, "Well, I'm going to be in every fucking show you <laughs> air tonight." Do you remember when he got to his first scene in Barry and he was like out of breath from running from Succession? <laughs> <laughs> LA's so far from New York. Uh, not as a uh, if we're if we're like picking favorites and shit. Not as egregious as Phil Hartman, but I I did the control F for Stephen Root as well, and I cannot believe uh, Office Space. He's Milton. He's the original Office Space character that the whole movie was based around once it finally came out. And we we should say like sometimes uh, you like a comedic actor and they're kind of always doing the same thing. He is dramatically different, crazy Chameleon. good characters like Jim Dotrieve. Is so different than the boss from News Radio. Is so different than Fuchs from Barry. And these are all things he's done over like a twenty-five year career. But you don't even give a shit. Like when you're typing, you're like, "Who's gonna play this?" Ah, uh, Stephen Root. Root I, I, I already know. Root will do it. Get get the root down. Root will do it. Root did it. Did it. it. Mike's gonna say Ed Helms. I also had to control F to make the sure the progressive commercials are so <laughs> funny flow uh to make sure uh this guy has been a looming presence 
in pop culture my entire life. It is true. From uh, character actor to host of fear reality shows. Uh, <laughs> what if Mike from, just threw us a bone, let our two guys get yeah. in, and just took one for the team? <laughs> nope. Uh, from from comedy to drama, everything in between. Even though he looks like the skinniest toad that ever lived. Uh, from uh, Pip will be there farting on a snare drum to you made me blank out to putting on lipstick in the the most sensual way I've ever seen anybody do it. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. Wow. The Bouchams. Boardwalk Empire, baby. The Boosh. Well, shit. Conair. Hello, fellow youths. Fargo. This is tough stuff. Yeah. Whole world in his hands, Conair. Man, I, 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 we have to talk about Stevie Shemmy. There's so many things you'd want to say about Stevie Shemmy. The first time he hosted Saturday Night Live, that has like five of the funniest skits from that era of Saturday Night Live. When was that? Uh, I want to say like late 90s, early 2000s. There's like, that's he's got that Mad Hatter uh, tea party. I don't, I don't want to go through all the different things, but it's like it's I'm like I'm gonna go look this up. Eight different skits from that are oh the, the Mad Hatter ones, too. legendary. The Mad Hatter one's so good. The uh, White Tornado dance instructor, the Trucker Hall of Fame. I mean, it's just like there's so many. Oh, the the uh, guy who's obsessed with um, with uh, Greece uh-huh. like freaks out. Anyway, check it out at home, everybody. I will. The most uh, quoted quote from any movie between me and my wife um is from pulp fiction a movie that uh he was in for a couple of lines uh or the quote is i don't think buddy holly is much of a waiter we say that <laughs> anytime we're in a bad restaurant or anywhere really uh, but he does play buddy holly uh do you want that steak rare as fuck or burnt as crisp um the legendary imprint on my life the fact that he that somebody was like you know what fuck it Let's give him like the lead role of a gangster show. Yes, dude. Yes, and he crushed it. He really did. Nucky Thompson is an awesome character. All right, okay. this is not an easy choice. This is one of the hard old ones. white men. Let's keep in mind that one of these three will not make it in, but MC Scat Cat is in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. We are what we are. We are technically allowed to nominate someone to take out, and I was I did a long hard look at MC Scat Cat. That must have <laughs> been a true? weird class. It would have to be unanimous, Greg. You'd be so fucked. That formed us, because the idea is supposed to be it's pop culture that formed us as people. Mm -hmm. Well, it formed two to the three of us, apparently. Most of the people have, like, multiple shows that they that they were in. He, he was, has an entire album that Ryan owns on vinyl. I have a vinyl that has six different versions of Opposites Attract that we <laughs> wow. will listen to after this recording. Okay. All right. It's time to vote, Ryan. Phil Hartman. Uh, this is a difficult decision. This one is not. Yes. I mean, like, the, like where I'm going to put my two votes is difficult. Yeah. Not, gotcha. not for this one. Greg. I'm a, I'm a screaming hot yes. Mike. Phil Hartman is in. Hey! Congratulations, Phil Hartman. Posthumously. I'm everywhere you want to be, baby. My guess is that we've just all assumed he's in. Yeah, and that's nobody's ever crazy. done the hard work the that Greg's of times done. I searched. <laughs> Me and Mike both said we hit Control F. That's a fucking lie. We didn't do <laughs> shit. 
I did do control F, and then I was like, I bet I spelled the boosh wrong. <laughs> also, I just control F to the boosh. <laughs> Greg. Stephen Fritz. Yeah, I'm a yes for Stephen Fritz. Interesting. <laughs> Ryan. I would like to say to the mighty boosh that he is defi- definitely has a future here, but yeah. I think it's time for us to put our roots down. You can be nominated multiple times. Once per season. Per Once per season, but multiple times. Knowing that, Mike, what do you think about Steven Root? Considering I literally flipped a coin between Steve Buscemi and Steven Root earlier today, I vote yes, Steven Root is in the mountain. Are you going to write down Steven Root Shemi? Steven Root Shemi. His body, but his face, imagine it. (laughs) So he's in? Your Pop Filter Hall of Fame class of punch drunk love is Phil Hartman and Steven Root. Gosh darn it, do we like news Guys, <laughs> Maura Tierney, Andy Dick, Joe Rogan, we can do it. Dave Foley, we and Candy Alexander. <laughs> hey, you know when, what? John Lovett, oh, you're in too. They're Phil Hartman replacement. Uh, the red-headed secretary. Remember, she was tiny and cute. Yeah. Beth. Yeah. Beth. Yeah. Whatever your name Beth is. is. good in that. When we're sick of movies, is that our next podcast, News Radio Rewatch? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> news Radio Radio? Right. News Radio Radio. We are going to take the quicks of break, and we come back. Close the book on Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to, so why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter hey everybody keep watching them movies taste buds what role do friends and family play in this movie and is punch drunk love deeply misogynistic or does it just happen to have a lot of awful characters many of whom are women i didn't put the women together thing i put the family together thing uh it is seven sisters which is Marilyn rice cup and six members, members. of a Tina Fey convention. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's so clear to me that like back then or even now, the answer was, oh, my brother's a little weird. I'm going to fucking call him on it constantly as, you know, like to help him come uh-huh. to terms with how weird he is and therefore he'll get over it. Uh, when it's so clear you are, if not the cause of, certainly not the solution <laughs> to all of life's problems. Right. They're not even, like, particularly good at fucking with him. They kind of just use the same strategy over and over and over again. I think that sisters could be a little more crafty in their torture, even just to bring up the same story every single time they see him. But there is... I, there's is that a, a tamer time? There's a way in <laughs> which they are awful that I just... I guess the light kept going off in my head where I was just like, this feels... It feels like something like there does feel something gendered about this, and then I just was like, oh, "Is it just because there are seven terrible siblings?" And well, they, yeah, they're shrewish nags. Yeah, I mean, and and it, they're like so awful, and they bully him so much. Um, and then we get the the image of like the the sex phone worker, mm-hmm. um, and she seems so awful. And then, but then you get to the point where you're like, "Okay, what characters in this movie?" are not awful people. 
Louise Guzman. Yeah, right. And then it's like, okay, well, he's flat. Um, and, and but I don't know. Like I, I don't. I don't want to say the movie is deeply misogynistic, but the whole time I feel like you feel that energy in it, and you have to. You end up asking yourself that question a lot. And then when we first meet the love interest, she seems kind of flat and hollow for a while, and it's very hard to understand her interest in this guy that is absolutely a huge loser at the time mm-hmm. where she meets him and she's going like out of her way to get close to him. And it, it just makes you wonder why. And now this could be a cop out and I would understand if so, but is it because this is the way Barry Egan sees the world? Oh, I love that one. So tightly seeing it all through his eyes. It's possible. Um, I uh, honestly, I didn't think about the whole misogyny thing while watching it as a straight Ryan, white male. I never have never to, do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Vino was such a big part of keeping me from doing that. Like, um, one of the scenes I was going to bring up earlier, but fits so much better now, is her in the hotel room looking at Barry outside of the suit in his robe yeah. post-sex in bed. And Marilyn is on the phone with Lena. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry that it didn't work out. He's so weird. And Lena's like... Uh, yeah, I did notice that he was weird. And she was like, yeah. what the fuck? How dare you say that? Yeah. That's not male-female. That's just sibling shit of like, right. I will be the terrible person. And then Lena does the smart thing of not dealing with the psychopath and just saying, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, having right. all of this information that she does not have. And you know what? Like Barry doesn't have it either. Barry doesn't know, have both sides of this conversation. He's just comfortable anyway. Because of what Lena gives off. That's also the right. most comfortable Lena ever, ever is in the entire movie. And we realize, like, that scene helps show you how, like, highly wrought she has been, how anxious and how nervous she right. has been the whole time. Because it's not just that he looks cool and collected there, it's that they have created a space in their love where they are with each other, like, cool and collected. That's one of the best parts about finding somebody that you match up with is, like, you actually kind of get to be sometimes cool, sometimes sexy, sometimes, sometimes interesting. Well- when you're only together in a different state, nobody knows you are. Well, like to, to find that person who's your same vibration of weird, yeah, is magical, and it's clear they have. And also, secrets are fucking cool and sexy, <laughs> and they are having one for her to be like running, like I just fucked your brother, bitch. Like that is what her little <laughs> smile to Barry means to me. Like the other thing too is that all of that Barry thought he was trapped because he never got that like college experience of I'm gonna go to a college and say that my name is Barold and I've never had any violent rage <laughs> moments of my life. And he can't get away with that because now the only girl that he loves, the only girl that he's probably met in forever or ever was introduced by his sister. So mm. Lena already knows the hammer story and that's what drives Barry into the bathroom. I can't ever get away with from this shit. They'll always bring it up. And Barry's rage of like breaking the bathroom is that's Mary. That's the sister's rage is like, yeah. I'm going to keep bringing him down to my level. We're, we're never told that like, she's got a successful life and she's a well-balanced person. She's a piece of shit, you know? See, wh- yeah. One, we don't see them doing well. One question the whole I family. have is like, why do they torture him so much? Is it cause he's the, is, is he the youngest? I, he's I at least the so. only boy and he's weird and they're weirded out by his weirdness. Yeah. Even though they are all kind of weird too. Cause like he calls one sister. He's like, Nice chat, and she's like, "Chat, chat." Oh, Who has chat? ever said chat? Yeah. Like, ah, well, bitch. have you m- met somebody who's not funny but thinks they should be? Like, that is that vibe. 
But that's socially acceptable rage. That's it's bullying. Yeah. And that's like that that doesn't right. turn people off. That doesn't turn potential suitors off like what Barry goes through. But they, they, they all do it so much and so like sadistically maybe the oldest one seems to actually be kind of nice she, like she comes around the corner and she's like he was building a dog house and just gives him a hug <laughs> yeah. but like the whole time they're calling him at work and then like the the music keeps getting like tenser and oh. tenser uh, but maybe yeah the thing is more that like family is kind of a a nightmare rather than just the fact that he's got a bunch of sisters maybe it's just he's got a bunch of siblings and it's so hard to be the youngest because everybody needs somebody to shit on and he is going to be that guy. I think there is a reason two of the three hosts of Move of the Year live states away from their families. <laughs> <laughs> but when I when I watched it the first time this time, I was like really troubled by what seemed like to be a lot of misogyny. And it was watching it the second time that I was just like, that's when I kind of like put the addendum on to like, wait, is it is it that it's a misogynistic movie or is it that like. It's just a movie about awful people making everybody worse. And he did a Paul Thomas Anderson did an okay job of casting a fair amount of women so that some of those awful people, like about right. half of them, happen to be ladies. And we don't get moments right. of bad brothers in law, which may have balanced it out. Well, I think the dentist sure he shows empathy in that moment, but that he spilled all of the beans. I just I think on that's Barry. that's normal. Fuck, Roger. That's your average person, bro. They're very. I hate people. The 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 women in that family are very strong, and like the there's a way in which the guys, the brother-in-laws, line up, and Barry comes into the room with them. That's like none of these guys are. They're all the Barry in their they're individual relationship. Yeah, they're all like these are strong personalities, and so they all kind of like they're gonna give the the juice up to their wife. Like anytime they hear anything that she might be interested in, they're gonna report right away. Did you guys read that uh, when Barry walks into the party that he's supposed to be at, and one of the brother in laws brothers in law says, "How are you, Barry?" and he's like, "Oh, I'm doing food. I mean, I'm doing good." And the sister like sprints over. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. From the corner. Did you just say food? Uh, apparently that was a typo in the script. <laughs> Sandler read it word by word, <laughs> and PTA was like, "Keep it in. We're Actually, keeping it in." Actually, that she does sound pretty good. And then one of the brothers-in-law is like, "Well, it's probably because he's hungry." So it is like he's trying to help <laughs> yeah. a guy out. Well, they're all married to these twisted sisters. <laughs> Did anybody else like find yourselves wondering? what the parents were like because i never thought about it once which is crazy oh really because there's so many (laughs) kids and i was like and they're all pretty young and so it's like did mom and dad die when they were young and did that like create a dynamic they got hit in the head by a random hammer that flew through the air (laughs) (laughs) he was building a doghouse who amongst us you jerks but yeah I, 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 i what i love about all of the family and the friends is that they are there not helping, but they're never blamed. You know, like this is clearly an anxiety that was uh, built into Barry from the day he was born. You don't think those sisters are blamed for the way he is? It was just cultivated by the sisters. No, I mean, like Barry's always going to be an on-edge, anxious person. They're responding to the fact that he's like that. He's not like that because of the way they treat him. And so like, hey, Barry, how are you? But they treat Uh, him like shit. Right. And so there's, there's not that chance to escape. Lena gives him the escape. He thinks that she won't because he knows the hammer. She knows the hammer story, but eventually she does because she's like, I heard all the stories. 
I don't care. So he's like, dang, you know who else I want to hit with a hammer? You, baby. Yeah. It's romance. <laughs> Sexually. So, oh, really? Because I have this spoon for your eyes. <laughs> so, Ryan, you're a nurture over... Wait, you're a nature over nurture. I think I always am, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I... I I think they, they weave in and out of each other. So maybe he was a little anxious. But the fact that somebody will sprint out of a room to say you said good wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah dude. I do that to you all of the time. And they, they make fun of him. They're like, you're so fucking weird. And when she hits a whiff that he wants to go to therapy, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with mm-hmm. you? Like, ugh. Yeah, the only like kindness we ever see are the fact that one sister wants to set him up with somebody. But it kind of uh-huh. feels like Lena actually is the one who instigates that. So yeah. Maybe she just agrees to it. Uh, and then the other would be that time that Mike pointed out where she's like, well, I can call him weird, but don't you call him weird? But I don't know if that's kindness or possessiveness. That's like, not kindness. No, that's this that's is like, yeah. boy. It's all possessive. Even setting him up is so like, now I have control of your relationship. And if they get married, she can be like, you know, I'm the one. You owe this to me. Oh, my God. How could you be mean to me right now? Because I'm the one who introduced you to your wife. See, I have to know what mom and dad are like. Like, this is, this is probably, <laughs> like, actually a strong point in the movie because it, there's no evidence of it. So you just have to speculate. And so that makes the movie yeah. feel bigger than it would otherwise. But dang, I would just love to know. Because it almost feels like they had a dad that was awful who died and that they, like, kind of got back at the dad by destroying mm. their... Oh, I, if I think about the parents, I assume beta cuck dad... And loud, angry mom. Because that's why they all went out and kind of reproduced who their dad was yes. by marrying men like that. Yeah. Based on the siblings, I'm guessing one dad, seven moms. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Right. Oh, I'm thinking about it. Okay. Can there be a reverse gangbang? <laughs> Wait, are we in speed round? <laughs> speed round. Yes. Can there be a reverse <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's a well-earned point. <laughs> what is this movie? And we've talked about this. Ah, <laughs> uh, reverse gangbang. <laughs> we've talked about this throughout it, but now I'm going to demand an answer. What is this movie saying about love and its relationship to violence? Is that message one that's comfortable to sit with? You know, I was thinking uh, the one I the thing I couldn't stop thinking about, which is like a, a little nicer than this movie, maybe, is uh, where the wild things are. Uh, when the kid wants to leave and wild things wh- where the wild things are, they say like, um, we won't let you go. We won't let you go. We lo- we'll eat you up. We love you. So, mm. uh, and they're, cause they're monsters and their love is kind of also destructive. And then I got thinking about how, like, uh, how Jedi aren't allowed to <laughs> be in romantic relationships because there is on the other side of the joy right. and bliss <laughs> of love. There is something else that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to think about, but that is kind of violent. That's why people look at a baby and they say, I want to bite this baby on the cheeks. What does that mean? That's a weird thing to say, but like when you see a cute little baby, part of you wants to consume it. And so your love and violence are like both planted in the same soil. And this movie maybe says like it takes courage to recognize that that is true and so we don't want to but we should if i see a baby i want to eat you know what i do i put it in a giant bun mm, put ketchup legend. on it and then put dijon mustard on it do not like dijon mustard no longer want to eat the if baby if i see a baby that i really want to eat i just take a rock and bundle it up and then just eat the rock instead <laughs> <laughs> is that a that's a reference to reference? yeah that's a reference to greek mythology <laughs> chronos chronos was eating all his babies chronos chronos <laughs> 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 We don't have time to talk about Kronos. Who knows? Kronos. Kronos. How much does that suit stink? 
Oh, yeah, man. Does he just wear it for like five days in a row? I used to have a job where I... And he runs a lot. ...was too poor to have a second suit, and yeah. people knew. Also, when you fly right. in a suit, like your body goes through some changes, and <laughs> the changes are expressed in the smell of that suit. Greg. I just uh, flew in a suit, and goddamn, my suit jacket arms are tired. Boy, are my arms sweaty from flying Greg. with my arms in the suit. <laughs> Has the last 20 years given us a new outlook on the day-to-day plights of Barry and the people around him? In other words, was this movie almost predictive in its depiction of the depression and anxiety this country was feeling but not yet naming? I, I Honestly, I don't know what if we had terms for all this shit. I remember it seems to me that back in 2002, if you were a little weird, you were bipolar. That was it. Or you had ADD. I don't even know if we had You had ADD. Or you were a bug eater. <laughs> in my schools, that's what... Weird kids were called. Or you broke a bunch of stuff with a hammer. Um, but I do think that, like, I don't remember characters like this from back then that were not evil and not sent to um, insane asylums, but just, like, uh-huh. we have to live through this. And then it kind became... Kind of funny in 2002 to be like, but somebody could be hyper-violent and still, like, a good person worthy of love, right? Like, like say a country <laughs> just started, like, having paroxysms of violence all across the globe. Yeah. Like, that would be okay, right? Is this you the ultimate 9-11 movie? Honestly, without ever mentioning it, is it like, you know, can't we go around just absolutely kneecapping the right. whole world and then still be like, we're lovely people. We deserve happiness. Can steel the, the beams melt faces? The, <laughs> the one... Seven the brothers, one brothers building seven? What? <laughs> <laughs> the one bone I have to pick, Greg, is that you said, what if a country just started? As if it wasn't built into the fucking DNA of this stupid, terrible place we were born in. Yeah, but the, way, the way in which we went from um, being like peacekeeping operation country to preemptive war country, like you need an, an explanation for that. That has to be integrated into the culture. And so that sort of change, that sort of like going absolutely bonkers as a country needs to be reflected in the culture, and I think this movie is one way in which that's a reflection. I mean, to call Adam Sandler America, I'm either being <laughs> toddler stupid or violent. <laughs> that I mean... Brian. I will always outfit uh, myself in this beautiful blue suit. <laughs> oh, that's one of her colors. <laughs> they don't run, except he does a lot. You know, we didn't get Barry. to... Go, Mike. No, you go. I was going to say, I, since we're the speeder out, I want to bring up a topic. <laughs> This is one of our great. This is one of our last great landline movies. Oh yeah, for sure. Like this movie is about talking on the phone, landline style. Uh, interjection, Greg. He invents the cell phone by ripping his landline off the wall and taking it all the way to Provo, Utah. Uh, to hit somebody in the face with it. Barry lies almost constantly. What does this tell about? What does this tell us about him? And how does it work with other elements of the movie? I don't. Uh, I mean, like, we're in on all of his lies, and I think that changes everything. Like, I don't think that he's a con artist. I don't think that he's scheming. I think that he's so he's trying to have, have some grasp of control on, uh, right. like, his, how he's seen his persona, and he loses control, and his sisters take control. And that just leaves him in this place where, like, I have to lie sometimes. What? That hammer thing never right. happened. Well, he can't. I mean, he can't admit like what he really is on the inside because he thinks if the world sees me for who I really am, I will be rejected because I'm just this like creature. I'm this, this violent beast. And so everything about me is a lie. And so to, to like cover up 
how awful I am. I have to lie constantly. And what he learns over the course of the movie is a way to be honest about who he is. And once he's honest about who he is and loved for who he really is, then he doesn't need the lies anymore. He's not afraid to tell people what he really did or what really happened mm. because he's, you know, he's unleashed. Do you know the Which scene where like, or one of the scenes where he stops lying? Right. It's not, Oh, I'm sorry. I just lied. It's uh, no, I didn't No, I didn't bust yeah. up the bathroom. I didn't know. I didn't bust up the bathroom. No, I didn't bust up the bathroom. <laughs> Please don't throw me out. Like that's that's <laughs> when it stops. Like, oh man, if you could do me the biggest solid and not kick me out right now. <laughs> An earlier one that where honesty like causes all of it because it shows what a schmuck he is, is on the phone sex line with Georgia, where she's just like, "Are you jerking off?" And he's just like, "No, yeah, an all right day." Just trying to have like, a nice conversation. Cannot help but tell the truth, right. other than saying his name is Jack. Uh, and it is so. But she just is like, please lie to he me. He right very now. pointedly says, "I don't want her to know who I am." Like, right? Uh, even though he's given like all the information about him, I don't want this girl I talk to to know who I am. It's very right. important that I'm not like seen or understood. But here is my social security number. <laughs> That's every day of my life. How does PTA's parade into rom coms land, and does it make you want to see him tackle other genre films? Sure. I mean, I don't know what's left. Uh, Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, let's see dude. that. Fast and Furious. Maybe a Marvel movie. A Maybe Star a Marvel War. movie. Uh, I'd love to see him do a Star War. Let's have Fast and the Furious. He's directing that, so and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, he hears Dom hears on your left, and now all of the Marvel movies uh, characters are in this Fast and Furious movie. Oh, and here's Rick and Morty. But no, I like. I feel like no. If you, <laughs> if you, you both think, were docked points. If you think about this movie, Inherent Vice, and Licorice Pizza, just to name three. Like, we have it all. Like, we're good. I don't know if there's any specific PTA horror. PTA sci-fi. PTA... I mean, did you see The Master? Did you see Phantom Thread? Sci-fi I would be crazy, but I don't know. I, I, like, I sort of like him taking the most boring subjects he can and finding the weirdness about yeah, he, like, humans the in there. Yeah, he brings fantasy into realism. Right. And so it seems like moving outside of that is, is just moving too far outside his wheelhouse. If he was to take over the Alien franchise, like, I would be there, but, like, I don't know. Like, you wouldn't want to see a movie where Wes Anderson talks about a bunch of Twee characters. It'd be like, what are you doing here? You wouldn't want to see a movie where... You don't Cl- really understand this world, do you, Wes? You want to see a movie where Chloe Zhao takes over, like, a <laughs> team of, like, space <laughs> marvels <laughs> where they fly around and fuck. <laughs> Do they? Ending so many careers at once. <laughs> Why did Barry Egan call the sex hotline instead of just waiting for Nudie Magazine Day? <laughs> it's too many days away, Mike. Human also, connection. That fucking penguin over there? That penguin's here to steal your Nudie Magazine. We, uh, something that modern kids don't know is that landline. the experience of talking on a landline is nothing like the experience of talking on a cell phone. There is such like a presence to being on a landline because both mm-hmm. channels are kind of open at the same time. So you really hear, even when you're talking, you can hear the other person, which is something you can't do on a cell phone. And this, what ca- this caused is a lot of people opened up differently on the phone than they, than they were in real life. And so uh, becoming like a phone person, you could have kind of a different phone personality in a way. And so I think it's very important, actually, that he calls a phone sex line. Okay, Greg can see my notes. My notes say... He doesn't like phony, so he picks up the phony. Like, that's the thing. That's I mean that, that that's not where the word phony comes from, but right. it's actually a very interesting idea because 
people really did. They were somebody different on the phone. And I think it matters that he carries the phone with him when mm-hmm. he goes to the scene where he fully integrates the parts of his personality once. And then he leaves it because he doesn't need it anymore because he has taken phone right. personality, Barry, and kind of put it into real life personality, Barry. Greg is DJing. A, or I'm <laughs> sorry, Mike is DJing. A fucking, <laughs> uh, you know, Greg, I read a book once about uh, people who, when they made phone calls, they covered up their face with like holograms and stuff and would never look at the person on the camera have you oh, heard yeah? of, have you heard, heard of this book w- was it very long it was so long <laughs> oh it was God. infinite yes i did read it though <laughs> you read it for front to back front to back all the footnotes ryan all every <laughs> goddamn footnote all 1076 pages Love it or hate it, can you argue with the fact that this movie is a cool 95 minutes? No, I mean, come on. What are we going to do? The perfect length. The fact that it's 95 minutes is just one of the ways in which he's pandering. But you know what? I enjoyed that pandering, buddy. (laughs) I was listening to some podcast the other day where it was about movies. And one guy was like, are you going to see any movies this week? You're going to see Evil Dead Rise? And the one guy was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, it's 93 minutes. You know what? Fuck yes. Actually, I'm going to go fucking see it. (laughs) Right. Uh, sometimes we take listener questions for the speed round, and this is one of those, and I'm only declaring that because I do not understand it. Okay. Does Barry Egan fall in love with Lena, much like Ernie was falling in love with the wall or something? Hey, Ernie, what are you doing? Are you falling in love with that wall? Goo! What? <laughs> I peed my fans. <laughs> is that Billy Madison? That's for Billy Madison. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> whoever whoever wrote that, that one. his name was Ernie <laughs> knows about Billy Madison. Right. What do you think Barry appreciates more, shampoo or conditioner? And I understand this reference. <laughs> uh, I guess I would say conditioner leaves the hair silky and smooth. Yeah, but shampoo goes on first and it cleans the hair. <laughs> Shampoo's supposed to clean your scalp, right. everybody, not your hair. Uh, I have right. a follow-up question, Greg. What are you looking at, Schwan? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, is there ever a time where a swan is looking at you now where you don't think of that line? <laughs> Never. We are going to take. Why don't we just put Billy break. Madison in the fucking Hall of Fame and call it a night? <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, because I said off air that I would dock so, uh, so many points if somebody tried. That's true. <laughs> We're going to take the quiz breaks when we come back. It is award season. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You can pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check them out. Taste buds. Can you believe that Punch Drunk Love was not nominated for any Academy Awards? Yes. I can't believe that, actually. It won a Golden Globe for something, but we don't give a shit about those. Best Harmonium. (laughs) 
I can't think of a better one. So tonight we are going to shower it in praise and awards, starting with the most illustrious, the most sought after, most happy Madison moment. Ryan? Um, okay, so this was a hard one for me. We had talked about what like was in the preview and me cynically thinking like this was added to the movie. But the thing that gave me the feels the most, that had the vibes, not me not getting into Happy Madison, was Luis Guzman flooding his cart with pudding while he just started dancing. And there's so much violence in this movie that could be, that's like classic Adam Sandler characters. But the way that he fucking shucks and jives <laughs> in the middle of the aisle, for like, and it's so out of character, you know? Like, right. we're showing his happiness finally. Um, through this, this dance move that he does, uh, it's it's just the thing that spoke to me. That's part of my choice for the for how this movie is weirdly white centered. Why he's dancing while his yeah. assistant <laughs> at work for work reasons. This is his like number two, but for right. like putting pudding into a cart at the grocery store. Don't be putting pudding. Like he might go with you. And then he might do a little dance while he waits for you to load up your car. But why is he doing the labor there? You picked the, the chocolate wife and I fruit. Had, we paused and had like a 30-minute conversation about that. Can I ask you guys another question, too, because you guys are more well-traveled than I am? Is this an East Coast thing? This movie takes place in L.A., but maybe there's other grocery stores I've never been to. Or is it a movie thing where grocery store aisles stop at like your nipples? All my life, they go to the ceiling, and you have yeah. to get somebody to reach up. But in movies, you want to see faces? So you cut them off at like right below the head. I will say supermarkets go to the ceilings. I think small grocery stores and like mini yeah. marts go to the nips. Because Akamis go all the way to the ceilings. I'm sorry, what? Wegmans all the way to the ceilings. Akamis where Wiley Coyotes buys his rockets and shit. And it's also where people in the tri-state area get their Stroman bread. But if you're this talk- episode brought to you by Stroman bread. But if you're talking about the New York only bodega, then maybe that we'll just have. There's something yes. I fucking love about a movie made supermarket. Uh, the movie White Noise. Yes. Uh, it takes largely, or a lot of it takes place in a grocery store, but it's not real. It's so for movies, but like on purpose, and I just love it for some. It's like watching the game show supermarket sweep up with a plot. But Ryan, we're not talking <laughs> about White Noise unless you count the movies that P.T. Anderson makes. <laughs> That's White Noise. Greg said that shit Greg. knowing he would get poisoned. <laughs> Greg, what is your most happy Madison moment? Um, okay, my most happy Madison moment is when uh, he's screaming at his sister when he's in uh, Hawaii. And that's just because that switch to him yelling like that so much to me is like classic Adam Sandler comedy. Uh uh-huh. maybe like even more than the movies, maybe it's the CDs that he'd put out, but just like that, like, you know, there's a girl there I wanna meet. What are you talking about? <laughs> that just like screaming at the top of his lungs all of a sudden in that very Adam Sandler cadence. Uh that's really what like put this more into his regular Don't you Uber. wish though? D- don't you wish it just just went into gibberish though? Yeah. Mine was He's running, which he often is in this movie, but he is leaving Lena after their date, and he's jogging down the hall because he's such a weirdo, and he had just said, and bye-bye, and he's really taking himself to task for that. He goes, <laughs> and bye-bye, you stupid motherfuckers. But, uh, he uh, says it once, Adam Sandler way. and then takes a couple steps, and he restarts the bit. He's like, yes. oh, and other, another thing. You said, bye-bye, you stupid piece of shit. And Mike, 
they they didn't know how to communicate to each other. He heads downstairs. What does she do? She calls him on the telephone. On the oh! landline. Boom, and then they can express their truths to each other. Greg, can you uh, back me up on Mike getting five points for mentioning Tim Robinson in that intro? <laughs> I kn- that never occurred to me, but this <laughs> is a fucking <laughs> long ass. This felt like, I was like, oh, this is how Tim started his career. <laughs> He's just like, I will be this character ever. Or just watching this movie and being like, what's wrong with this guy? This is the first normal person in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but because we're both talking about his cadence, Greg. that point goes to Greg. Punch or best punch or drunk or love, Greg? For me, it's got to be map punch. Uh, hauls off and just that is the one that sounds the most painful when it happens. And he mm. just does the, the Barry like scream where you can't tell if he's in pain or having a mental breakdown or just frustrated or some combination of all of them. Uh, and so, yeah, just that was. The punch of the movie for me, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the punch of the ball. Just for that. Ryan, what's yours? I thought with uh, three different categories in this one category, Greg and I would disagree, but we do not. Um, <laughs> uh, as uh, NBA fans, Greg and I have seen a lot of, in the playoffs this year, um, just giant manly, manly basketball players get frustrated at refs or whatever, at their coach, at their team punch the wall on the way to the locker room and break their hand and be out for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, In Happy Madison movies, Adam Sandler is able to commit whatever violence to his body or any other body, and there's no repercussion. And in this way, the body of one Bob Barker, his hand (laughs) shoots back because he fucking, he broke it. Uh, But then, so like, I love the, I don't know what, what it is about walls that men fucking hate when they're angry. Oh yeah, dude. But like he goes. standing in the way. He goes for, he gets to punch the world and the wall all at the same time. (laughs) And then he, but it's the PTA, the whole, like Mike, you said the MGM technicolor of it all Mm -hmm. is that he, he's out of the shot and then the shot pulls back across Greg's glowing harmonium to reveal love written on his knuckles and it's mm-hmm. it's right. we're so out of reality at this point guys like right. there's nothing uh, real real going on there's truth but there's not reality fuck you ryan <sighs> biggest cringe ryan all right so we've been dancing around this whole thing and i like you guys have definitely helped me raise this movie in my estimation right i like this movie more having talked to you too but I still think it is kind of PTA 100. And PTA I think light. PTA light. And I think the moment is when uh, he finally, he's on the payphone in Hawaii. And Lena finally picks up, I think is what happens. And then this dim payphone, the light goes on. And like the light <laughs> goes on in his heart or his life. Or he gets an idea and the light bulb <laughs> goes off. And there is some subtlety about it. But it's almost like that the subtlety of like having somebody walk past the camera and then the light is on sort of makes it dumber like just have the mm. light go on have have the music go up have an orchestra in the background have that big like a M- normal movie swell exactly have that big mgm technicolor moment but the way this does this is the part that i cringe the most right greg what is yours for me it's a little bit weird but um it, after they like get together and they're going to be together he says like i'm going to use all my airline miles so that when you fly on business i will also fly with you because i never want to be away from you again and i have to say the movie's very romantic and i like a lot of what it does but if you like 
chart what their relationship might potentially be like as they move past the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and into the like, okay, now we're doing the work of being in a relationship. The idea of his violent personality mixed with the idea of I never want to be apart from you again mixed with the idea of, hey, a guy answered the phone the first time I called this hotel. Do you have a boyfriend? When was the last time you had a boyfriend? Have you been right. married? How long were you married? Like, Hey, can we talk about this when we meet maybe? Yeah. So like <laughs> I just suddenly all swirling in my head was like, is this – like it's it, the movie sells us on them accepting each other now, but the way you accept each other in this early phase is so different than who you will be later. And what's it going to be like when she says to him, Barry, I need to go on this business trip without you because right. I need to spend a little bit of time away from right. you. The and this is my job. And you knew it was when we, when we got together and she's going to feel that way. Even if she likes how fucked up he is, she's going to feel that way. And right. I cringed at the thought of, what happens when this guy who has been given, in a way, this relationship, what happens when it, like, I don't know, is taken away or something? That's, I mean, it's parts like that that, like, may, it's, are less romantic, and it's like maybe Lena doesn't have that red flag radar that we yeah. all hope people have. The other thing, too, that Barry's not saying there is whenever you travel, I will travel because I have all these miles, is also I'm going to quit my job. Yeah. That's, that's what he, he's going to give up his business. Because my, my pudding fortune. And, like, honestly, <laughs> before he is, like, before he is so comfortable talking to her, the only other time we see him comfortable is when he is, like, giving the sales pitch for his cool novelty plungers. Uh, and right. not that it all goes perfectly, <laughs> but he's pretty good at being, like, doing using the razzle-dazzle and everything. Um, and well, so you, the you idea have to that, Michael Scott, right? You have to show him a little bit good in their job yeah. in order to show them be total fuck-ups. And so the idea that he would abandon that is just, like, I don't know, man. This is not the. Be- I don't think Paul right. Thomas Anderson would argue that this is the beginning of a of a healthy relationship. But it's just like how unhealthy of a relationship is starting. Right. Here. So this is not a healthy choice, despite the amount of <laughs> healthy choice <laughs> that is in the movie. I. You're right, though, with his job. Like he is pretty, maybe the smoothest in the movie, where like the plunger breaks immediately, and he's like, "Well, this is probably one of the old probably ones." One of the old models, <laughs> right? Instead of like, because ima- imagine anything else I like would that melt happens down. to him, he literally runs away from anything else that's even a scotch like that, right? right? Um, and before that, he's, like, integrating the fact that his sisters keep calling kind of into his pitch. You know, he's like, well, we just mm. actually had a really big order uh, from the Mirage in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Maybe you've heard of it. It's <laughs> actually a pretty big city that needs a lot of plungers because people do some huge dukes there. So, You know, I, I can have. speak from experience. Uh, also, is the, is the product uh, plungers on the bottom, little elephants on the top, so the yeah, kids have like these Little fun. knickknacks, man. Little cool things, like a couple of dice, maybe like a dollar <laughs> What is his business? Because another point, a guy just has a thousand loofahs in his hand. Yeah, it's like bathroom products. Just bathroom products. Yeah, so he but like outfits. I think what he's trying to do is outfit directly hotels, like big chain things. with. Wait, so he can make huge sales yeah, so for can, huge dudes. Yeah, because that, that's the way he thinks. He thinks at scale, right? When he sees right. this, uh, these things for these miles, he doesn't think of like, I'm going to get some miles here or I'm going to enjoy some delicious pudding, whether or not I have a spoon, <laughs> right? right. You, if you have a bunch of pudding and you want to eat it and you don't have a spoon... <laughs> Right? What are you supposed to do? I'm going three fingers deep every God, time. Mike, I asked you to talk to Greg right. about not bringing this up. And tonight. I didn't for most of the show, Ryan. And I did it right. for like you would say most of the time, right? But then I right have at the a end, new cringe. <laughs> Greg saying the phrase three, three fingers, fingers deep. deep. Yeah. But honestly, if it was sexual, it'd be fine. It's the fact that it's always about pudding. <laughs> oh, why is it not sexual at all, you freak? Pound for pound performance, Greg. I want to be cool, but I. I've never been in my life, so why start now? I got to go with the Sanduzel. Like, uh, 
I again, I knew somebody who had this the same quiet rage that he does, and it's not when he's screaming; it's when he's being quiet and apologizing to somebody and the way his face you can see like things kind of go over his face but mm-hmm. he doesn't really make much of a, a reaction that portrayal of rage and then the portrayal of him so embarrassed and then the portrayal of him being like fucking cute cool as a cucumber in that hotel room being like legit like fuck eyes and like honestly <laughs> like being pretty hot in that scene <laughs> like that's a lot of range especially when you know yeah. usually you don't ask that of adam sandler Ryan. Ryan, what is yours? Uh, Mike, I am very cool. I did make a pact this season to continue for all seasons that I'm not going for the lead character, and I will continue that tonight. Um, we are four years, five years away from Scotty J in Boogie Nights being the guy in the the skin tight tank top saying, yeah. hey, 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 Dirk, if, if, no, if you, if you want to see my car, it's cool. I, I mean, it's cool <laughs> if you want to see it. Um, in those five years, I do think, uh, and I'm not saying that Philip Seymour Hoffman was anything like Scotty J, but in those five years, we saw like a star, character star, being born. And what he has to do in this movie, which is essentially, if, you're, if we're going to be honest, make it a movie, right? Like if his job right. is to make this a Hollywood mainstream right. movie. And I think he fucking crushes it. His uh, phone call, his first phone call with Barry of like them just sit, telling each other to shut the fuck up. <laughs> like I don't care if this argument moves forward. I'm just we're just gonna keep telling each other to shut the fuck up. And then this is he like, like picks up the phone. He's like, shut the fuck up, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the first thing he says. To Which is incredible marriage advice. I, I think that any fight up, that you're in with your <laughs> husband or wife. Uh, but there's a moment in this movie that sold it for me. That it was the PSH, and it was. There's a really cheesy, corny joke line of um, that I think any actor would have fallen on top of, which is they both say, so that's it, so that's it. And then as Barry's leaving, Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman sh- like, slides into the screen like he's on socks on tile. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. And then Barry turns around and Philip Seymour Hoffman saying, oh, no, that, 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 that's, that's it, that's that. it, that's, that's it, that. that's that. We're done. It's so fucking good, that moment. Mm. Finally, director's signature moment, Ryan. Um. Okay, so I don't. I, I I was about to say I don't want to say anything corny, but I'm gonna say something corny. I think that the first time that we really get into Barry's right. head, that like <laughs> that. Uh, well, I'm gonna talk about anxiety, and that bothers you, Mike, and you bully me by giving Greg points. I understand that. The first time that we really get into Barry's head is that percussive part, the the where the camera like it's one incredibly long take, and mm. all of the things that have seemed very unimportant in the movie, they all start coming together, and this is doing a couple things. One, it's how you write a screenplay, right? Like all of the first thirty pages, have, like we have to do something with that, but also with the long take and with the percussion that doesn't stop, it's sort of like. This is what Barry is thinking about all the time. All of these minor things are at his right. like, highest register at all times. And also, it's just like simple order of the award. We've seen this in every PTA movie we have ever watched. So I'm going with the long shot with the drums. Uh, it, it, it so harkens back to Bill at the New Year's Eve party in Boogie Nights. Right. Uh, H. Macy going back to his car and grabbing his, his gun. When the 70s became the 80s? 
Yeah, it's it's the minute the seventies became the eighties. Greg Heinleinery. <laughs> there is a this the the famous scene at the end of Magnolia with all the the frogs raining down. Um, there's a cut where it cuts to the one of the young kids and uh, he just keeps saying these things happen, these things happen. And a lot of people take the raining of frogs at the end of Magnolia to be something like supernatural in nature, apocalyptic, um, almost like a plague from the Bible. But at the same time, what the kid is saying is absolutely true, which is that sometimes animals are picked up by weird weather formations and dropped in other places. So it's very simply true that these things do happen. And I believe that Paul Thomas Anderson is about finding the magic in reality, that we don't have to go to some other reality to find wonder and fantasy and magic. And I think that he foregrounds it very intentionally in this movie. Magnolia makes you wait until all the way to the end to, to find this kind of like magical but still real element. And that dropping the harmonium right after the big car accident, the harmonium becoming the very center of the movie, the car accident, except for the debris being left on the street, never being referred to or mm. acknowledged in any way at all. The car absolutely flips over. We're given our first view of violence and of like uh, hope and love at the same time because that's what the harmonium Correct. really becomes. And those as being coincidence in the movie, two things that happen at the same time and yet are in no way really magical or unrealistic. Uh, coincidence? Coincidence? Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Oh, that's what you raised your hand to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was yours, Ryan? I thought we were on the same wavelength. No, I'll let Greg finish. Uh, but so it is <laughs> because what he wants you to know a little bit is that there is a fairy tale unreal quality to everything that's going to happen in this movie. And at the same time, these things happen. These things really do happen. And so for me, it's the, just that drop in the, the harmonium right after the car accident. It's not just that, though, but like, I mean, we talk about this a lot about how like, uh, isn't this the hangover of the 90s or is it the start of the 2000s? the aughts and like we expect after that car crash and the harmonium to be dropped off for uh tim roth or Hugh mcgregor or somebody to be like isn't this crazy here's what life is you know and like continue another fucking 90s movie but it's not the movie slows down and never really picks up again you know yeah. i mean until i guess like crowbars to brothers faces i guess that would count as picked up but that's that's a long time away like the 90s are over dude and pta is taking over Crowbars to Brothers' Faces was my favorite hardcore band. From <laughs> Possibly the most important award. Greg, recommendation. Um, this sort of focus on being a different person on the phone versus who you are in real life and like thinking of this as like maybe like the last of the great landline movies um, got me thinking of Winston from New Girl who like had a whole secondary persona when he was on the phone. And it comes from him being like a kid in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And again, kid in the 90s, this is like a lot of us didn't have the internet for a while. And so you would go home and kind of like work the phone sometimes if you were a social kid. And there was oh, a whole yeah. different quality to socializing on the phone after school, which you would do sometimes for hours. Rich kids would have their own phone lines so that like mm -hmm. in their room, they could have non-top access to their phone. And in New Girl, Winston uses this his powers for good, and it's like you're gonna have to get me a, a bottle of water and a phone and like some curlers for my hair because I'm gonna be at this for quite a quite a long time. Phone is to Winston as pranks are not to Winston. Yes, yeah, dude, that's the other side. Of, the other side of the Winston coin. But I remember, like, I remember, like, somebody called you, and I I get the phone and like I hold it to my chest, and like I will literally like fix my hair, yeah, or do whatever. Like, you gotta get in go the zone. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta 
I didn't have a bottle of wine at 12, but and that would have been awesome. I know I said this earlier, but if you've only lived with cell phones, then you're not you don't know what phone calls used to really be like because mm-hmm. you could hear the other person breathing, you could hear like the sound. <laughs> yeah. Like so they were always there. There was a presence on the phone in a way that there isn't now. You you rarely both went to talk at the same time or then like waited the same amount of time be- uh, to not talk. Like there was ebb and flow in the conversation. It was natural. It was a presence, but you couldn't see one another, and so it created like an otherworldly presence. You know what I would say is that if you've only lived with cell phones, you've only lived in a cell. Yeah, you would say that. <laughs> uh, so your should we recommend- all get landlines? Your recommendation is go look up Winston on YouTube. Uh, is to watch the New Girl episode where Winston, Winston works the phone. Okay. And Ryan, what is your recommendation? I wanted to do licorice pizza so bad, but I do think that at this point it is seen enough, right? And we talked about it a lot tonight. So I'm going to go with a movie called Me and You and Everyone We Know. Oh, interesting. The Miranda July movie, which I think was... Back and forth. Yeah, it did have back and forth, the sexual move where you poop poop into somebody else's but isn't butt that, isn't that why though because that connect isn't that why you're recommending it because of that weird connection she has with that kid no oh it's okay not. <laughs> it's 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 because of miranda july and uh the lead actor the guy from um winter's bone the, this was like i think an early uh another early edition of the um people with anxiety people who aren't your normal sort of leading roles in rom-coms they should get their rom-coms too they're not just john hawks john hawks thank you they're not just weird because they like um, knock things off tables or are klutzy because they like walk into a door like they're they're off-putting they're literally off-putting to most Mm -hmm. of the people which i feel like adam sandler should have been at some point in this movie (laughs) um but yeah like uh and like going through the rom-com tropes but it's with these two people who have you know, who who should maybe take a Lexapro every once in a while or maybe see a therapist, and that's okay, too. It's not so scripted bullshit. This is – it's not the Instagram filter of real life that we see in typical rom-coms. Yeah. You know, uh, Miranda July and uh, John Hawks in this movie are not all right. You know, like mm. there's a lot of things that they need to talk to people about. But we root for them because uh, we see all sides of them instead of just saying, oh, what do you have, ADHD? That's the only thing I will ever know you by is that you have ADHD. Uh, mine is, it's not nearly as good as this because it's not PTA and what could be. But the whole time, maybe it was the, the the way it actually looked and the colors it used and the tension and the way it was like, violence is can be good maybe, but not in like a grotesque way. Uh, it kept, for whatever reason, it reminded me a lot of the artist self-defense the Jesse Eisenberg movie where he's oh, like, with as that. an adult, oh, yeah. I need to take karate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there, there, there's just an emotional strain that the two of them share that it remind me of throughout it. Um, so that's it. We. Alessandro gonna... Nivola, which is like, this is of like course. a star making performance. Like yes. this is, he should be in, he should be a Marvel character after the Everybody performance in this movie. Be. Let's just, you know what? The three of us, we're going to put ourselves out of the bar. We're going to uh, reveal it tonight. Marvel, we're out who, there. Who who are we each trying to gun for? Oh, man. I would say uh, the Cuckoo Sisters. I was thinking <gasps> I was going to go Pace Pop Pete. <laughs> oh, you got yeah. true PPP energy, my yeah. friend. I love isn't that. that a, uh, isn't that from like the COVID times? 
Isn't that PPP? Isn't that pandemic times? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The loans that all the businesses uh, stole, basically stole money from the government and didn't give it to any of their workers. But all right, we'll okay, give you this money, but you never have to pay it back. Kids? <laughs> Gentlemen, we've come to the time of the show that is my least favorite. I have to let you know who won and who is not my best friend. Ryan, yes, you got seventy-one points. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. That's like a sixty-eight point improvement from your performance. <laughs> that is, you've you know, uh, mo- most improved. You certainly yeah, get it. That, that I mean, it, that sets a record, right? I I hated this bit until now. I'm setting a record for most improved, yeah, and now I love this bit. That's pretty good. Nobody's improved more than you, uh, Greg. You got seventy points. Uh, this is I'm a sorry, one point game. I lost seventy-one to seventy. That's such bullshit. It's usually like forty-five to forty-two. 71 to 70? That's bullshit. It, you both were soaring. There's something about PTA and Adam that unlocked the two of you. I do have to point out that uh, people listening might not know, but I saw Mike like beckoning to the drop pad with fingers and toes. Like he was all like, you're going to hear our names so many times in this episode. <laughs> well, I do like that part. I would put the pen down and they'd be like, fuck, they said another thing. Uh, go again with the pen. A cogent movie point. You said so many cogent points. Uh, with that, uh, congratulations, Ryan. Uh, I can't believe what a what a ter- comeback turn. I really thought it was wow. just Greg's season after your poor showing last week. I thought he was going to be too humiliated to show up. I know. But then I'm the one but that got shown up, Mike. Maybe you were like a little too cocky just by one point too yeah. cocky. Oh, man. <laughs> the nice thing about losing by one point is you get to reflect on Oh yeah, areas that cost you the game. Hey, listeners, re-listen to the show and uh, think about when Greg said something awesome and Mike just sat on his hands. There was a couple <laughs> of times where you did one of your puns and no- nobody, like even when you're the, the host, you're not quite sure if a Ryan pun is going to get a point or not. There was a couple of times where you got the point where I was like, oh, that could have gone either way. Any of those, <laughs> any of those would have made me the winner. Maybe I missed. Maybe I missed it from last week. Well, perhaps if I grouse about it. Enough. Oh yeah, <laughs> Greg Trump over here. Am I right? <laughs> oh no, Ryan, yeah. you won by seventy-two to Greg seventy. <laughs> How do we think Punch Drunk Love is going to do? I have to say, I really enjoyed. I think I enjoyed talking about it way more than I enjoyed the movie. I didn't hate this movie or anything, but um, I wonder I w- does that piss PTA off that we enjoy talking about it? I didn't no. love watching it. I love talking about it. Well, isn't he like fuck no, yeah, that's bro? Yeah, because yeah. he did a lot. He's to, a film bro. He did a lot to make this movie deeply uncomfortable on purpose, and that's part of why it's not fun to watch. But talking about it, I definitely enjoyed. I think it definitely has a chance, but I don't think it's going to win. I, I, I like I, 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 maybe an outside chance, but that, even that feels being like being generous. Yeah, we, you're just being Greg about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do we give Teen Team a vote? Oh, Teen Team should have a vote. They're going to hate this because it's all about a straight they're, white man. Man, they're just going to vote for some YouTuber again. That's what they do every <laughs> oh, single Oh, PewDiePie wins again. Oh, you man. guys are too old. They are off. It's not YouTubers. It's TikTokers. I, but I said TikTok earlier, Mike, so I didn't just want to go did. to that well again. Okay, bud? <laughs> oh, is it tied now? Do? <laughs> no, because no, you have still have one more point. Because I was about to flip this fucking table over. <laughs> Because he groused too much. You got a point for that. He's a famous grouse. <laughs> you don't want to have a violent outbreak at the end of the Punch Drug <laughs> Love Show. That's all out of sync. <laughs> you need to have it somewhere towards the middle. And what I've learned from this movie is to <laughs> throw hammers at everything. 
That is our Punch Drunk Love show. Coming up this season is Catch Me If You Can, Chicago adaptation, and so much more. Until then, keep watching those movies.